People sometimes ask me if I have any words of advice for young people. And here are a few simple admonitions. Never interfere in a boy and girl fight. Beware of whores who say they don't want money. In the long run, these are the most expensive whores what can be got. Wake to the wisdom they sink, they talking no sense. I gotta patrol the flows, the wave sink came close. I got all the antidotes, so take a dose. Globally and peacefully, the beast bully the tight rope, walk of the skin crawler. Shame won't kill a croc who can't say the same for the slaves choked, the pain soaked, our people broke. Make change to change the way we know self-taught We're doing the things that not unite It's our right to beat the plight No fear, Halloween with no fright Hollow tips to swallowing while they cry The cops blocks, they try to stop us The real robbers, they're trying to rob us Of our culture, the bird vultures The bone cutter, the clone suckers The home flutters I'm done flooding with cold loving And two shots, two pops Zeus voodoo soon, so who watch? Kai slant, king kind And bring the bong in the pot in a Marie Laveau is waiting outside of the system, salivating justice for all of her children. Chili peppers burning while monsters keep a churning. They hit the gavel hard instead. The order electrified the dead. Send a love basket full of our medicine made by a witch. Her incense is her innocence. A soothing drop of oil used for illumination. Not killing the herd in the name of annihilation. Slashed and a slay, I don't play. No games unchained, uncaged like Jane Goat to fame. The same, the same way, the pain, the same lane, the phase, the same book to page to wait. Look for pain, I mistook for hate. This mistake is so good, I say the same fate as the rest. No way, I won't wait. I don't pay for the pain the same way as the face. The train lanes, the brains, the top plane. All around, they surround the flame now. Big now, say hell bound to the grave now. The shame now, shouts here for the sake now. The prey found, the prayer down. They lay down, they found out what now. Welcome back to Napalm and Friends. And I know I always say it every episode, but we are truly lucky to have this week's guest, the insanely talented creative Arish Ahmed Khan, or otherwise known as King Khan. So thank you so Hi. much for being on the show. My pleasure. I love Napalm in the morning. <laughs> Um, and I think it goes without saying that you have definitely left your mark in the music industry. And, you know, I, for one, am grateful for your contributions. But that's not the reason why I invited you onto the show. You went on a live, I mean, I think I want to say like a few weeks back. And you were so candid about your mental health, your addictions, your spiritual journey. And, you know, I, for one, I really related because, you know, I've gone through similar occurrences in my life as far as addiction, my relationship with my family and sobriety and spirituality. But I want to know, how did you become so candid about it all? 
Um, I think that it's uh, it's a, it was a reaction to the fact that when I was growing up, my father uh, abused me like you know from before I was born. He threw my mother down the stairs when I, she was pregnant. And the thing about uh, many traditional families, or that was sorry, we were a completely non-traditional family. My father was a gambler. He he loved alcohol. He was not a Muslim, you know, and like. Uh, and so uh, we were kind of isolated in the Indian community, uh, but also within our family, my it was a shame to talk about his abuses, right? You weren't allowed to tell your uncles and your aunties that your dad is beating the shit out of you and, and your mom, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I came from this 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 feeling, like even the idea of therapy for many Asian families, for many black families, for a lot of families in general, native, you know, like the it's a taboo, you know, therapy. It's like, oh, what, you're doing therapy? What are you crazy, you know? So I grew up in this uh, very restricted world and I saw the hypocrisy that that uh, that breeds uh, trauma and, and, and makes trauma way worse, you know. Uh, and so I, I believed in self-help. I, I, I wanted to find out about like that. And I've always uh, I've always been manic, you know, and like in, and if you look at the roots of my childhood, you'll see that I was terrified when my father was in the room. And when he was not, I was in heaven. You know, so I was already born on a roller coaster, you know? Yeah. And so this just manifests itself later, you know? And uh, I will say this one thing, it's like, I'm 44 now, you know? Uh, this is this marks like the, that I've spent more time in Germany, that, uh, more, half, more than half of my life here than in Montreal where I grew up or like, you know, or traveling around, you know? So um, for me, uh, I, I just recently moved to the countryside, you know, uh, and uh, with my wife and like, one of the things that I was in the in the first few months, I was able to reduce my medication to almost half, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because I was like not on the internet. I was I was able to like be in nature. I I started staring at birds and trees and top, you know like and bats, you know like a, mm-hmm. I I had like a two, three hour session with a bat that was like literally around sun you know sunset. Uh, the bat was like flying in front of our door and then I was on the balcony and it would just come up and say hi and like I'm not joking for it was for like an uh, hours it was just hanging out with me you know yeah. so when I started to do this I started to realize that uh, I was able to do a type of meditation which I'd never been able to do before because of my mania which is uh, kind of a death meditation right and not that you're meditating about your death but you're actually meditating at the beauty of life and being able to understand that this beauty exists with or without you Right. Mm-hmm. And understanding the temporary time that we are here, you know, and in this, you know, like uh, then I'm able to go back into my childhood, into these traumas and basically reopen these wounds. Right. And it's and it's painful. Right. You're going to get flashbacks. You're going to get heat flashes. You're going to get, you know, dr- crazy dreams, you know, all this stuff. But what you're doing is like you're you're opening these wounds up and then you're looking at like your abuser. Right. Mm-hmm. For like in my case, my father. Right. And then now look, look at his wounds. Why is he an abuser? Right. Because he was abused. Right. He was a part of the, the colonial takeover of uh, India, you know, where they literally pinned Hindu against Muslim. And then they're like, you know, ripping babies apart in front of their mothers, you know, or like stories that my father would tell me, blood curdling stories about him and the whole village of, uh, of women and children hiding in a wheat silo for a week with no bathrooms or nothing, you know, in silence because they knew that there was a roving mob of people that are out there to kill them. So obviously like, you know, and then my father came to uh, Montreal in the 60s, early 60s, he saw the Black Panthers come to the university and speak 
you know, where in front of a completely white audience and the audience of professors and intellectuals were terrified because they thought that this huge black revolution of like Milton, you know, uh, you know, uh, weapon bearing uh, black folk are going to come and like, you know, like uh, erupt the, you know, the, the, the status quo or whatever, you know. So um, for me, also my father introduced me to like Malcolm X when I was 12, you know, the autobiography, you know, and then from that I found out about the Black Panthers. So like, all of these things for me, and, and, and Black Panther is very much about self-help. You know, it's like, no, don't rely on the fucking government. They're not gonna do anything but fucking condemn you and, and put you in jail. Rely on ourselves, rely on, on the community, you know, and work in small communities, you know. So um, the, my love for, for, for that uh, kind of community thing, I mean, in the beginning, it was more of just uh, uh, relating to Black Power and understanding that Black Power is not, uh, you know, it's not just to do with Black. You know, it's the it's to do with everyone. It's all power to all people, you know, yeah. and and so I had this intrinsically stuck in me the whole way through. But then when I got into the punk rock and rock and roll, I was more into the drug and celebration side of it, you know, which I'm very proud of and had a great time, you know, for until, you know, like I was 33 when I got diagnosed with the bipolarity. But still, I've, you know, been able to like, you know, slip away and, and do some DMT or whatever, or like, you know, like have have these wild things. But Obviously, uh, my brain is very, I understand the inner workings of mania, you know, and for my whole life until I was 33 was was the year that I met Yodorowsky, the year that Lou Reed and, and, and Laurie Anderson became uh, friends with me and, and their producer, Hal Wilner. So like, this was a pivotal year for me to actually let, I, I got acceptance from the people that changed me and that, that mutated me into who I am. You know, the following year, there was that when when Hal sent me the the, the unreleased uh, uh, recitations of Naked Lunch, right? Mm -hmm. The uh, the most most unspeakable parts of Naked Lunch from from Burroughs himself. And Burroughs, for example, is another of the catalysts that like I read when I was fourteen that changed my life because of his essay about uh, heroin addiction and me understanding my father's problems mm -hmm. and not hating him but actually empathizing and actually kind of being fascinated by that world that a university, an Indian university professor never goes in that world, you know? Yeah. I do, you said something at the beginning where you said, you know, we come from a generation where, you know, mental health is considered taboo. You know, it's, it's something that I definitely relate to because with my Mexican family, it's not so much a reflection of like, just you not being well, it's like, well, the whole family failed and that's, you know, we should be ashamed yeah. of that. And it's not something that is normally spoken about. And I do try to talk on the shock, you know, like I just recently for a holiday episode, I said, hey, you know, if you're struggling, like you have a home here, um, like you're not alone. Like I've, I've been honest about my addictions and, you know, yeah. like my eating disorders, my alcoholism and you know, my relationship with that and kind of barely touching upon like my relationship with, with my family because it's so difficult to share. Um, I don't know if you've also come across people who say like, oh, you're doing this for attention where they try to like shame you back into like, don't talk about right. things. Um, you know what, I just ignore those people. I mean, like, honestly, uh, the benefits, I'll, I'll tell you one thing, right? So I have I have two daughters and they're 19 and 22 right now, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, I was I was 22 when I, when I when I first had a child with my wife and uh, Sabalu. And so I was very young when I went, you know, when she was born. And I will tell you something that when, when I've seen them, uh, when in, in high school, for example, you know, the friends that they would bring over, these are amazing, evolved human beings. These are not the human beings that we were at that same age. You know, like they know what bisexuality is. They know what 
homosexuality. They accept it, you know, like, and they, they're not only that, but they celebrate it. And like, you know, like, for example, uh, I have a gay son, you know, my daughter's best friend, Pascal, you know, and like, and this kid, when he was 13, he knew he was gay. I mean, you know, everyone knew he was gay, right? But like, imagine when we were growing up, homosexuality was such a taboo, you know, like, oh, yeah. and, 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 you know, like, and also like the whole, mis the misogyny of a tr uh, trans, the way, you know, th the way all of these, let's say, what they're called freaks of nature, you know, are demonized our whole life. And then, you know what, if you go a little bit further down the historical way, India and these societies there are like, you know, uh, before Islam and all that stuff uh, took place and, and Christianity and, and the, let's say the book religions, you know, uh, before that, uh, homosexuality and also uh, uh, trans people were accepted in society and they're actually even given kind of like magical uh, uh powers in some sense you know like spiritual powers so we saw the 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 roman catholic church really destroy the earth uh mentally you know and then look at these cultures we're talking about like you said mexican mexican culture is so uh you know like uh, like been it's been sodomized by christianity you know and so much so that like you have to hide your voodoo religion in the saints, you know, and all this stuff. And it, but there, it's amazing because humanity always finds a way to like protect these ancient stories and and transmit them throughout the generations, right? And now we're seeing, I mean, you know, like this information age. You know, you can you can get that knowledge if you search and find. You know, I mean, it's getting more confusing because there's distractions and all that kind of stuff. But essentially, we are evolving at a rate that. I know that everyone is very negative about what's happening in the world and the pandemic and ignorance, but shit, man, it's always been like that. There'll always be ignorant people, right? But mm -hmm. let's think about the people who are growing, right? And who are evolving and it's our children, you know? And they are gonna get the keys to the Cadillac and, and when they get it, they're gonna fucking put hemp oil in it, you know, and make it like totally biodegradable. And, you know, yeah. and, and we can just support this. And like, one thing I always talk about uh, is that a computer or a human brain, right? It's 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 like it's got four little nodes, you know. It's got like the pleasure and pain, and then it's got uh, to flee or to approach, right? Mm -hmm. And you can actually put all of your human experiences into this little thing and find out, you know, where that is, right? So yeah. like, imagine if you're born brown, if you're born different, if you're born gay, if you're born poor, you're you know, every, you're, if, if you're you're one of them, right? Mm -hmm. Or they as as they like to call us the other. You know, then you're always fleeing. You're all you're never comfortable. Your approach is even scary. Right. Yeah. So like so imagine. So in, instead of being this this element, a, a medicine wheel that's spread equally between four points, you're actually just in one direction, completely slanted, you know. And mm -hmm. so your entire life, you're going to be you're going to be uh, fucked up, you know. And Hi. so, yeah. no, definitely. Um... And I think we do have to recognize the traumas that our parents have gone through and kind of backtrack a little bit. When I had mentioned, it's like, you know, when there's people who always oppose, like, oh, don't talk about that. Or I've also been met with comments of that's in the past, like, don't bring it up. But I think I think what people fail to realize and fail to educate themselves on, because like you said, the government's really not going to teach you, is yeah. that these generational traumas caused by racism, colonization or whatever, it echoes into the next generation. Yeah, and it's double sided. Because the white people also have this the plantation side of that tyranny. You know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. not just like the, the we're the victims of the of the colonial system. In the in 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 a lot of Caucasian people, they have the 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 slave master guilt. 
You know what I mean? Or, or like the Nazi guilt, for example, that in, in Germany, you know, but mm. I, I just wanted to say quickly, but like that guilt in those generations, you know, I, I see it dissipate within the new generation. You know, like my, my daughters are German and Indian mm. and, and let's say Canadian in quotes or whatever, but um, they, they, they don't feel like they were responsible for the Jews being slaughtered or, or for everyone being slaughtered by the Nazis. Right. I, but my I, wife, for example, has, has still has that uh, guilt and, and, and we have, like, we hit a wall, you know, when we, when I talk about uh, white power and, and, and all like, you know, uh, inequality and stuff, right. She uh, gets defensive and being like, oh my God, like, or, or not maybe defensive, but also like, oh, you hate white people. Right. And I'm like, no, man, I don't, I don't hate white people. I, I hate capitalism and like the structures and all that kind of stuff, but yeah, I do hate white power. Right. Yeah. So it's a, uh, I do see a very nice evolution that is slowly taking place as well. No, I couldn't agree more. Um, and what I wanted to touch upon is like, for me personally, looking at my dad, I remember he would tell me stories about when he would cross the border. And I remember one story he told me he was out in Arizona and him and his buddies wanted to go eat at a diner, but there was a sign out in front that said, no blacks, no Mexicans, no dogs. Right. So they still wanted to go eat. Like my dad, I'll give him this, like he's stubborn, like like a fucking mule. And sometimes it's it's great. Other times I swear to God, it's, it's miserable, but... He goes, no, like we want to eat. We're hungry. So they go in, they immediately, they immediately get kicked out. And my dad being my dad, he goes, he just like takes their sign and like runs with it. And so like the cops are chasing him and he's like, no, fuck this. You know, he was just so angry. And so I see those injustices that he's come across and I can see how, because of machismo, where it's this belief of like, you're a man, you don't talk about your feelings. You know, these are things that you don't recognize. Toxic, toxic male shit. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, these are things that he laughs about, but I'm like, no, but they're also traumatizing. Yeah, I mean, is it kind of funny? I'm like, yeah, kind of. But you also need to recognize it for what it is, which is a trauma. And then it also goes back to 9-11. My dad, he has, he's been confused for Middle Eastern. He has very dark, heavy features. And he was also a taxi driver out in Long Beach. So when 9-11 happened, he would sometimes come home and with these stories about like people calling him like a towel head and yeah. you know, all these other racial- uh, sand, sand, sand Negro. Yeah. So, and he's, my dad was just like really confused. He goes, you know, his English isn't all that great. So he just knew that these were aggressive attacks. Yeah. And I would see him come home with his beer and just drink and then become belligerent. And I can see how those traumas really manifested and how it, it translated into me and my sisters. And I think it's so interesting that people need to realize that when they say, oh, this doesn't hurt you or just get over it. I'm like, no, you can't get over it because it echoes into the future. Yeah, And I think it's so important that we have to talk about this. And this is why I'm so glad that you were talking about it. And again, the big reason why I invited you onto here, because these are important topics. Like we don't, we shouldn't censor it. We shouldn't stay silent about it because if not, we're just going to continue passing it on. Right. I mean, you know, when I when I started working with Yodorowsky, you know, like, well, first of all, I discovered him when I was 22, when my mm-hmm. first child was born. And, I, you know, I saw El Topo and, and, and Holy Mountain, and they just made such a wild in, impact on me, just like spiritually and artistically and everything. And what I realized was that um, I, I set the bar high at that point where I believe that true art has to mutate you. Mm-hmm. Right. And that means, and it could be anything from a song to a painting, but you have to be different after you see and experience that thing. And if it doesn't mutate you, then it doesn't work for me, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and this is why, for example, a lot of these uh, many modern bands I'm not into, you know, because it's just, I find it to a lot of a shtick, you know? And it's like, and for example, in, in what I do uh, with musically, you know, like I, I, I like, I challenge myself by, by like uh, doing 
things that are in this old school way, right? But like, I'm still, uh, like, you know, one thing I think about when I write songs, like I, I, like if I write a Sun Ra kind of song, you know, I think about like, oh, I wonder what Sunny, Sun, Sunny Ray would think about this, you know? I really think of, and in, in a sense, I acknowledge the ancestors, in, in, you know, and I, when I, and I, my music is a, is a tribute to them because I don't, believe in the modern uh, Instagram filter that you put on everything that suddenly you're 50s or 60s or whatever, you know? Yeah. I believe in like, like you know, really uh, like the restriction, for example, the whole idea of restricting you know, to eight tracks, you know, or like this, this, this from restriction comes incredibly genius because you don't have the tools to go a certain level and then you have to use your own bravado and your own your own magic little tools to make something complete. Like for example, with me and Mark, you know, often people have told us, sometimes I feel like I see, I hear a symphony when you guys are playing and there's two guys just fucking, you know, smashing guitars, you know, and a snare drum and a bass drum. So for me, that that is very uh, magical.
something that I was thinking about, and I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on it as far as chaos, because again, you know, I feel like we both grew up in a very chaotic environment in our childhoods and in our um, like teen, year, teen years and like young yeah. adulthood. Yeah. And something that I was thinking about the shack, because I mean, the shack is completely built around, you know, the fact that I had so many doors closed in my face and so many no's and no one wanted to hire me as a journalist or as a writer, as anything. Yeah. And so I was like, you know what, fuck this. Like, I'm going to build my own you know, platform, you know, like I want to write, I want to talk about music. I want to talk about history. I want to, I want to invite friends and like share their talents. And I realized it was just so chaotic. I didn't know what I, what I was doing. I'll be honest. I still don't know what I'm doing. And it's just, I've been rolling with the punches, but in chaos. Yeah. But you know, it's important to, to, to not know what you're doing. You know, like this is something that they always teach you is that you have to have a purpose, but like, that's why you have to be guided by visions. You know, mm -hmm. like a, a vision will take you somewhere and you'll not know how you got there, right? And and you might not know what's happening now, but then later in life, you'll look back and you'll be like, oh my God, that makes complete sense with what, you know, like, so yeah. there's 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 too much uh, emphasis put on on uh, on sense. I, there should be more emphasis. I, I prefer nonsense, to be yeah. honest, you know? And, and what, where I was going with this as far as, I mean, I think you kind of like hit the nail on the head with, you know, finding comfort in nonsense. Cause that's where I find comfort. That's where I've always found comfort in like in backyard yeah. shows in the pit where it was just all chaotic. Chaos. Like, there's some yeah. order. Uh, for me personally, I realized with chaos, it's so liberating because then you get to decide where your limitations are because there isn't this predestined um, sure. like way to do it. So then I, I was thinking about you and your art and how you know, and your relationship with chaos and how it also allows you to create. And I wanted to also ask, you know, do you think these chaotic environments and traumas feed into art or does art feed into? Oh, I, I, I think it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a tug and war kind of like innocence and wisdom or like introspection and, and uh, I, uh, uh, what was it? Uh, illumination, right? Mm -hmm. These are the spectrums and those things are, are like, wrestling, like, you know, wrestling snakes, you know? Mm -hmm. So like, for example, uh, like what you're saying about chaos, right? For me, uh, I learned about chaos magic very early, you know, um, and like sigils and stuff like that, you know? And I was always mm -hmm. interested in, you know, the Alistair Crowley and all kind of stuff. But then what I kind of realized also with that, what what comes with that is the, 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 the desire for power and control, mm -hmm. right? And that is wrong, I think, you know? And like, um, so, you could practice uh, magic and 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 you can get a lot of energy from chaos. Like when I, when me and like uh, King Kong and Barbecue or even the Shrines, or whatever, all my musical projects, I don't want the audience. I want the audience to be on their toes and be almost afraid of what I'm going to do next. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's why like you know the costumes. You know, my ass is hanging out, or like I'm totally half naked. You know, or like so. This is a part of a ritual, right? Where I'm like. Um, uh, I, and this is one of the reasons I choose not to really go into political uh, politics in in my in my music because I want like everyone to come and have this ritual and like lose their mind and then you know the best compliments I get from people are usually like oh shit you know I was smiling for a month after that show you know and or like uh, or for example um, when uh, in England uh, a couple and a, and their young son came up to me uh, during a shrine thing and they were like uh, that oh you know that song out of harm's way uh, you know we my, while my wife is going through chemotherapy we listen to that song every day and it kept us hopeful about like what's going to happen you know so mm. it's like when you're doing the trauma uh therapy in your music and art 
What's beautiful about it is that everyone can experience that same healing, you know, and that uh, if they if they open themselves up to that, uh, you know, and and want it, you know. So um, yeah, and and that's what I feel like with uh, Yodorovsky when I started learning about psycho magic, you know, and then like also uh, with the the actual tarot, the path of illumination, right? This is an ancient path, right? And it's like it's been talked about by many. The fool's journey. There, there's all these different names for it, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and there's also different philosophies about it, you know, like like Kant and Jung and and like whatever. Uh, so I, I feel like uh, when I saw it in the tarot, when I visually saw it, right? And I was like, I was stunned, right? Because it was like, even the the, the ordering of the numbers, the way they relate to each other, you know, like the the hangman is the is the is the child in the egg of the high uh, of the uh, high priestess, you know, the, the papess, you know, and there's all these like the the death card is an X-ray of the fool card, you know. There's all these very amazing hidden symbols and things that are that Yodorovsky uh, gave to me, and, and some of them he told me to keep it as a secret because he said I'm only telling this because you made your you made it you made decks of tarot. So like you're a tarot creator, so you should know this, you know, like, so, um, and in, in a sense, you know, like, like people like Yudorowsky or Melvin, Melvin Van Peebles also, like they were like father figures to me, spiritual fathers who uh, in their forties, they, they were like, Hey man, I'm going to make a movie just like that. You know? And they're, they're like, I'm going to learn everything on how to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to direct it. I'm going to write it. I'm going to start it, you know? So like you were talking about people who like uh, weren't trained professionally by any, any means. Right. But they were speech, spiritual seekers. Right. And, and, and they, they opened up the whole world to like, you know, like Yodorowsky and, and, and Melvin Van Peebles are like supermen for, for me, you know, like, like hero. Like, and, and if you think about the Black Panthers, they used to, for, like it was required material to watch Sweetback's badass song. You know, you have to go see that movie if you want to be a Panther, you know? And then, you know, when I when I would, like, I had a, such a beautiful relationship with Melvin for many years, you know, and then his dementia was, like, pretty heavy. But uh, I really was lucky that, like, uh, I was I had done a doc, uh, music for a documentary called The Invaders about a black power group uh, from Memphis that was actually militant, but they were accepted by the Poor People's Campaign and by Dr. King. And basically, the, uh, they had the last meeting with King before he got shot, right? Mm-hmm. And... And uh, the two of the invaders were like, I think the only black witnesses of the assassination in court, whatever, uh, Supreme Court thing. And like, there's actually, I think a photo of them with, you just see these two Afros <laughs> amongst like a bunch of white people. And it was like, hey, that's, that's John B, man. So John B became a very uh, great like uh, colleague and like, and and uh, and mentor. But I I think uh, he, he, when, I, when he didn't, when he saw the black power terror, he didn't know what that was. Like he didn't understand like, what that world is, you know? And then when I, um, because I wanted to spread the word of black power with these cards, I would do these exhibitions in Europe and I would get them to fly him in from, you know, Atlanta. Uh, I mean, he's originally from Memphis, you know, his mother actually wrote the gospel song, Two Wings, right? And that's like a very traditional gospel song that she wrote when she was like 16 and she was in a church group. And that song is covered by like all of the great preachers like Utah Smith, uh, you know, also uh, Reverend Lewis Overstreet too, I think. Uh, so, and that and that's something I learned because of my work with him, you know, like that I love gospel music so much and especially raucous gospel from like the, the South, from like early, you know, from 50s, even 30s, 40s, you know, like uh, there's such powerful punk music from that time. That it, for me okay. is fucking punk as fuck, you know, and like, and, and if you find out about, if you do some research, like you 
Todd Smith was a preacher from New Orleans and used to wear these giant uh, feathered uh, wings mm-hmm. and they and with hoists and pull and pulleys he would hoist himself up in the air with rope and then swing in the like in front of the like above the audience and be like Jesus you know like so and and in the audience of his church were people like Ernie Cato and like the the, the the young soul, like the, the, the children version of like the soul people, like, or, you know, Aaron Neville and these kind of people, like they were in the audience. At, I mean, I, I, I'm not sure if Aaron Neville was actually there, but like it, I, it was the source of what R&B, uh, uh, for me, the greatest R&B, which is New Orleans, the sound of that, you know, and like, and for example, you know, when rock and roll like kick started, you know, Little Richard went to New Orleans to record with a, with a, with a Louisiana band. That was just like the best, you know, the upstarts or, uh, or upsetters or something, you know. So uh, for me, uh, like my liberation was and, and my decolonization was all because of rock and roll and like and and real rock and roll, not not like uh, not just punk. But then when you go further back, you know, and then you got labels like uh, Crip Records and Norton, you know, who we knew as teenagers, you know, who are our, our buddies, you know, and then we started working with them later, you know, and, and uh, those were the those were the people that really preserved rock and roll you know and like uh and they gave us access to like the sacred knowledge of like garage punk stuff you know like garage punk stuff all of these young bands like on the back from the grave compilations you know what happened to all of them they all got fucking killed in vietnam right i remember i forgot i don't know if it was in the piece that you wrote me which was which is terrorism which is like 20 plus years of your writing and work and meditations which i'm super grateful Mm -hmm. that you know you allowed me to read my pleasure I don't know if it was in that or in an interview because I was like trying to study and like, okay, like what can I talk about or, you know, how can I form this episode? And you do mention um, like Back in the Grave um, and all those artists who, I mean, they had like one or two songs that we can find. Yeah. And how they were sent to Vietnam War. And I had no idea. And I was like, shit, it's so obvious. You know, like, well, it's, it's I- like, these bands were all inspired by the Rolling Stones and Beatles, right? Hmm. But they weren't living that life. They didn't even know what marijuana was. They were smoking oregano, you know? Like, they didn't have money to go out and find real drugs, you know? They were, like, huffing glue instead of doing LSD while, while Paul McCartney is in India. You know, these guys are, like, like in a, with a trash bag, you know, huffing glue. So, like, and, of course, the what was the most dangerous thing at that time was exactly these young kids. They were, like, these kids want to fucking fuck up shit. They're, they're the ones who want to be militant. You know, they're the young patriots. They're, like, they're the Black Panthers. They're, like, you know. And so, um, and within them, how many Curtis Mayfields, how many James Browns, how many Sun Ra's, how many Roki Erickson's or Jim Morrison's, all these young, powerful fucking kids in their prime are sent to kill... Uh, Vietnamese people who never did anything to them, you know what I mean? And like, there's even a, a, a statistic that in Vietnam, like, like most of like the, the when when the soldiers would go and shoot, they would shoot in the air mm-hmm. because they did not want to kill people, and it was a way that they thought it would scare away people and not necessarily shoot to kill, you know.
tell you one of the reasons I, that I did the the, the dots and feathers deck, right? Which is the the tarot based on native stories, mm-hmm. right? And indigenous uh, stories from America. Um, I did this because, uh, first of all, like I said, I believe that my whole artistic uh, being ha- was protected by the Mohawks, and I want to give back to them, and I want to give back to all native people. I want to give back to like the the Mexican people, you know. Like, and so what what's happening to me right now is a big catharsis where I'm actually having to shed the skin of the of King Khan, the entertainer, mm-hmm. right? And I go, go as far to say like, the minstrel, right? Because uh, for me, like now, like these k- people doing shows during a pandemic. This, they're doing this for money. Mm-hmm. They're not doing this for anything else. And and the audiences, what are they? They're a majority. It's a it's a sausage party of white kids mostly, right? Mm-hmm. And like, there are so many things that we should be taking care of right now than that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's one of the reasons. And the, one of the main things I learned from working with Malik Rahim is that like when I discovered Malik, Malik was really sad when I found him. You know, like he had done a, a, a Black Power, a Black Panther uh, film festival, and included the Invaders and in, uh, the John B. from the Invaders and the director Pritchard uh, Smith. They went to uh, meet him and they showed the film there. And then immediately they were like, "Oh my God, you got to meet King Khan." You know. <laughs> so then I got I, I got in touch with them, and then I met him in Oakland. I did a for the 50th anniversary of the Black Panther Party. I did an exhibition in Oakland of the tarot, and he came and spoke. You know, and we just became like like soul brothers, you know? And and so uh, when I called him, you know, like he was in distress. He said mm-hmm. that the banks want to uh, uh, evict him from his mother's house. Now this house was the headquarters of the Black Panther Party in, in New Orleans back in the day when he was in his young, young you know, early twenties, right? So they, he, and then when Katrina happened, this was the headquarters for Common Ground, right? Common mm-hmm. Ground Relief, which was like him basically organizing thousands and thousands of volunteers, mostly white, from all over the America, coming to his house, staying in this land. Now, when you have a house that is that is run over by thousands of volunteers, you know, like all your equipment is there, you know, you're, you're cleaning mold, you're cleaning, you know, like you're cleaning stra- storm drains, all this shit. It was his place that was used as the headquarters. So obviously it's bunged up, you know, it needs a lot of uh, renovation. You know what, it should actually be a museum of, of dissidents and of social consciousness. You know, and we're we're fighting for that. There's a, there's an organization called the Sites of Consciousness where we're trying desperately to get Malik Rahim House or like registered as a uh, site of consciousness. You know why? Because down the street in the same neighborhood, 1948 to 49, one for one year, William S. Burroughs lived in a house there mm-hmm. and with his wife, right before he shot her in the head. So, and they have a plaque. Like you know, commemorating the you know, like like the uh, parts of on the road were were about that house. You're gonna give him a fucking plaque, and I love William Sparrow. And don't get me wrong, you know, like if you're gonna give him a plaque, and and you know, and he's like, you know, he killed his wife accidentally, and he was a renowned junkie, and you're not gonna give Malik Rahim a plaque, then there's something very wrong with your system, you know. New Orleans has never acknowledged Malik Rahim's uh, heroism and his dedication to like supporting everyone, all power to the people, you know. And and so for me, when I, when I, when he told me about his struggles, you know, I was just like, what's what's the easiest way for me to make money? To, to, to help him, right? And that's reading tarot. So I just started charging a hundred bucks. And with the hundred bucks, you get a deck of tarot, a coloring book, and then I do a reading for you, which is whatever. Could, sometimes I do a reading, it's an hour. Sometimes I do eight hours. I've done that before. You know, like one of the people who reached out to me recently, she's Apache and um, she, uh, her, her, her boyfriend is Maori. 
from mm-hmm. uh, New Zealand, right? And and he contacted me because she has stage four cancer of the lungs, oh, wow. right? And he told me that she's been a huge fan of mine for, for 20 years and uh, he heard about the therapy that uh, that I was offering, right? And when I say the, the therapy I'm offering, right? This is not only my therapy, it's, it's not only the therapy of the person I'm doing it, it's my therapy as well, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't want to tell people that I'm just like this, you know, soothsayer. And I, and I hate people who call themselves shamans and all this shit, you know? It's like, yeah. it makes me fucking gang, you know? Like, like, yeah, you got a fucking witch hat on and you have a fucking bone necklace. You know, you're not a fucking, you know, you're not uh, that level. You know what I mean? So uh, I want to interrupt really quick. I, I will yeah. say to whoever's listening, uh, because you do offer this therapy with through tarot, um, I yeah. will be linking your page. So in the bio to this episode. So if yeah, you feel you. like you need to someone to talk to and like possibly use this as a therapy, you think it might help you, then by all means, please reach out. Um, the- you know, like through Instagram and Facebook, whatever the thing too, you know, like I'm, if you don't have money, I will still help you. You know, it's like for me, um, I, and I've started teaching helpers. I'm mentoring uh, like several people. You know, one of, I have a, a great partner and mentor. I, I'm mentoring uh, 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 Ricky Strap, who's like a Red River Métis, uh, in uh, North 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 Bay, Ontario, you know, like I've got, uh, you know, I'm doing this thing with Noel, so I'm working, and I also like, well, basically, what, what I want to say is that um, there's a lot of Native people that contact me because of the cards, mm-hmm. because of my music, right? And they ask me for help, right? I'm not going around telling people that I'm going to save anyone, right? But like one of the things, for example, that I asked Yodorowsky very recently was like, how do you treat drug addiction with tarot? Mm-hmm. You know, and Yodorovsky just simply said, you have to do it every day. That's the only way to do this. It's a, it's a, it's a day-to-day process and you have to be on top of them, like, and doing, and like providing this thing, you know, and, and I do that. Uh, I just decided consciously that like, I don't want to keep working in the same way as before. And I want to empower and give voices to people who deserve it now. And that's the indigenous and black and, and like Mexican and like, you know, what about the the brown voices, right? Like we're always put on the bottom of the fucking uh, totem pole, you know. And like, and it's everyone's responsibility to decide to work with the, you know, because I, I can tell you, with working with so many great native people from all over different tribes, there are a million fucking Rocky well, uh, Erickson level, like uh, you know, like spiritual masters, you know, because they experience the worst traumas and they're they're struggling, but they're so strong and they have the stories. They have the, the the true blood and gut of like of of uh, uh, you know one example for example is, is Richard Pryor when he talks about himself he takes a burnt match out right and he's like like moving it like this and he's and he's telling people like what is this it's like it was it's it's supposed to be him on fire right when he was uh, freebasing cocaine and like yeah. letting himself fire so like when he makes this joke could you imagine that there's thousands of people in the audience right and anyone who had that same similar experience can suddenly laugh at the experience and not be traumatized by what really happened because you almost died, you know? And so I, I think that, yeah. Oh, no, no, go yeah. ahead and finish that thought. Cause I, 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 I was just gonna say that, yeah. Sorry, go. go. <laughs> no, 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 you go, you go. I was finished with that. Okay, I, well, no, I wanted to backtrack, cause I, knew, I do want to talk about the dots and feathers cards and the black power tarot. Cause I think they're so well researched and they're beautifully illustrated. But I want to go a little bit further back. How did you come across tarot and how did you pick it up? Ah, okay, this is interesting. So uh, basically when I was 22 and I was uh, playing a, a festival in France, south of France, and uh, there was a girl uh, and she was make, uh, like she was like maybe 20 
and she was painting uh, Sheena, Queen of the Jungle, right? For the in the beginning, and we're, we're sound checking, you know. And I was joking around with her and shit, and I was like, "Hey, can I paint with you?" And she's like, "Yeah, yeah, sure." So I I painted a gorilla with a bikini, a banana bikini, right? <laughs> and like, and then we be, we just small talk and like having you know became friends. And over dinner, I'm just talking to her, and I'm like, "So like, what's your name?" And, she, and or first I was like, where, "Where you come from?" And she was like, "Oh, I'm a, I'm an expat, you know. I, I'm my family's from San Francisco, but like I was born, I, I live in France, you know, for the past while." with my parents and I was like oh cool and then and uh, I was like you still have family back there and she's like yeah actually I have a weird uncle who like eats this thread and pulls it out of his ass right and I was like that's from that's that's a story from uh, uh, Max Crumb or, or, or uh, one of the brothers or maybe Charles Crumb the brothers of Robert Crumb right mm-hmm. and I remember this story very specifically it's like a a yogic ritual where like you eat this cotton thread and it goes all the way through your intestine and then you floss out your fucking body basically right and you pull out this nasty ass like cotton so this was in that movie and i was like i was like uh wait a minute like do you know robert crumb and she's like that's my dad and i was like get the fuck out of here and i made her take out her passport i think i was just like i didn't believe i was just like are you serious and then so we're eating and then of course i go into like emergency mode emergency mania mode right i'm just like because robert crumb was one of the definitely first like the people that uh, opened my mind to like you know about everything you know like uh just like fucking noam chomsky or or you know like it's so important uh his cartoons you know from that time anyways so i had just had a baby right and i was like eating with her and like just talking about everything you know and i one of the main things i asked her was like um did your father hide his art from you when you were a child, right? Mm-hmm. And she was like a flat no. She was like, it was everywhere. It was all over the walls, it was all over the house. And like, so, and then I used that information for my own children. I didn't hide anything from that. There was maybe two or three photo books that were really hardcore that I would put on the top shelf, you know? But everything else, the kids could do whatever they wanted. They want, you know? And I think that, um, seeing her and meeting her at that age she was brilliant she's a great amazing artist on her own she's like you know a powerhouse she's a tattoo artist you know and like just a very humble and wonderful person you know and so um anyway it was her that i asked if she knew what yudorowsky because she was telling me she was living in paris mm-hmm. and i was wondering if, like you know she's crumb family so she must know the royal family of like dissidents and of course she was like oh i was at a tarot reading of his you know and it's my first time i heard that he did tarot and i was like wow what's what was that and yeah. she's like, oh, yeah, and old ladies go there at like eight in the morning just to get a ticket to get read by him, you know? And I'm like, wow, that's so fucking cool. So then the next, the same day, I uh, someone in Berlin called me and was like, they're, they're, they're demolishing a building and we have the building for a weekend and we can reconstruct everything in the building. They were able to tear down walls and make like, and they gave it to like a, a, a number of artists. It was a collective and they wanted to give me one room and do whatever I wanted, right? So, so funny enough, I uh, I had a I had a huge Black Panther flag that I had painted, and uh, so I put that Black Panther flag up. I put some incense. I had a totally hokey turban, right? And then, and then I'm like reading tarot, and I didn't have a deck, so I asked someone, and they gave me one in German. It was a Alistair Crowley deck, right? And I was so I'm using it. And I, I can't read with the words on it, right? So I'm just like basing everything on this, like just the pictures, right? And and or or I'm asking like like right next to my room there's a guy giving massages right so I just, just poke my head out of the curtain and be like hey what does this mean They're like oh happiness I'm like oh okay happiness you know so, so like uh, this is an interesting thing because uh, this is like when you're when you're blind like 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 you're you're uh, you're in the dark and that's when you see the light right and then the, this is when it's shown on me that I was doing my own idea of reading I was doing an eight card reading with one in the center you know and like and I was just 
ad-libbing, you know, and I was getting more drunk as the night went on. So like at one point this this girl comes up and then she's like um, young American, like maybe 22, right? And she gets the death card in the middle, right? And then there's the moon, there's also like different cards. Well, first of all, it's not the death, it's a nameless card, right? But it is death, I guess, in else probably. But um, so she gets these things and then I tell her, that uh, a, a big change has happened in your life and that uh, the moon is symbol of the night and of like these in your dreams that you're seeing uh, these things being revealed. And I'm, I'm just talking out of my ass, right? But, I'm, but at the same moment, she like kind of turns pale and she's like, oh my God, I can't believe you said that. And I'm like, what do you mean? And she's like, my sister died last year and she was two years older than me, right? She was like 25 or something, right? And she was on her a European trip and she died. You know, and she said that she doesn't feel like she's gone because she sees her in her dreams every time something happens in the family that's important. She'll wake up in her dream and talk to her sister, right? Mm -hmm. So that was like, oh my God. And she was like, I can't believe you said that because that's very true, you know? And so at that moment, I was like, I got obsessed, right? And like, you know, and this is before I got medicated, right? So this, for a couple of years, I was doing tarot for everything. I was like, what, you go to the dentist? Wait, look, 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 you know, let me do your tarot. You know, like, oh, like, you know, oh, let's do the tarot of Mickey Mouse. You know, let's do the tarot of fucking Donald Duck. So, um, this was a, this was the fun that I was doing that was really informing me about what the energies are. You know, and this is like everyone else. Tell, everyone tells you that. Like a guru will tell you that. Also, in Indian music, you know, it's like you're supposed to to uh, to play concerts this much. You're supposed to uh, to uh, practice this much, and you're supposed to listen that much. You know. Yeah. So, in the same sense uh, with the tarot, like. Um, I was going through this this thing of mania that I was like just obsessed with the cards, and then at one point I had a uh, a reading that some uh, a very close friend of mine, uh, a singer, uh, a woman from Paris, uh, amazing singer, and she we were in a festival together in Spain, and I was just high as a kite. I had, like it was four in the morning. I had one guy on one side with MDMA in my nose, and the other one with the cocaine, and we we're just like, ah, you know, like. And so I was so high and she looked at me and she, she had had breast, breast cancer before and she looked at me and she was like, he was like, Irish, I'd like you to read my tarot cards. And I was like, oh, I'd love to, you know, like, what's the question? And she's like, well, the doctors found something new in my stomach and I want to know what it is. And I was like, boom, it was like one of these things where it's like someone just slaps you in the face into sobriety, you know, and you're just like, oh my God. And then, I, and then we did the cards. And of course the first card she got was death, right? And she began crying and freaking out. And like, and I was like, wait, 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 wait. Like, look, the other cards are saying different things. And, and like, I was trying to tell her, you're, you're, you're gonna have new work and new love in your life. And like, I was just trying to walk her off the ledge. And she literally, it was six in the morning when we did this or five in the morning. And she literally went to the airport, took a plane and went back to her kids, just like that, you know? And that horrified me. And I was like, I'm a fucking asshole. I, why did I do this? You know, like, why do I think that I can do something that serious? I'm not a fucking doctor, you know what I mean? So. Um, that's, I stopped tarot for like, uh, it was a year or something like that. And then I got a postcard from her the year after. And she was like, Hey, Arish, I'm, you know what? I'm really sorry that I was freaking out at you that time, you know, uh, during the reading, but you were actually really correct about a lot of the things that you were saying about the new love and a new job and all this stuff. And, and it found out that uh, she found out that the thing was uh, not serious, the thing in her belly, you know? And then she's like, here's the phone number of where Yodorowsky does his tarot reading. And he, she gives me the, the number of the cafe. Right. So then that now like the circle remains unbroken. And then I'm like, oh, wow, like I could try calling him. Right. But I was too shy and I was afraid. I, I, you know, I wasn't ready at that point. Right. And then fast forward to like, uh, I can't remember 2005 or uh, no, wait, maybe a little bit later. I, anyways, 
a friend of mine was getting married and his wife was a, uh, her childhood friend was Adan Yudoroski, the his son. And so at the wedding, I was asked to play a song for the bride and groom. And I did a country song by Charlie Feathers, uh, Man in Love. And then this guy, uh, Adan Yudoroski, jumps on stage and starts playing bass, right? And I didn't know who he was. And I'm like, okay, cool. He's playing bass. Cool. I mean, it's country. It's like, ding, 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 you know. Then after we get off stage, he comes up to me and he's like, hey, man, I'm Adan Yudoroski. And, and then I'm like, what? Are you serious? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, oh my God, your dad is my fucking hero and my guru. Like I read all his books and blah, blah, blah. And he was like, man, I love your music and I've always loved your music. I'm, I'm, and I would totally, if you ever want to meet him and hang out with him, like I'll totally arrange it. You know, and I was like, oh my God, that's fantastic. You know, so like his, he told his dad about me, you know, and then like, but I still waited three years to go see him. I wasn't ready, you know, like, and and uh, and then when I did go see him, you know, um, uh, we were we were like uh, uh, on tour with the Almighty Defenders, right? With the Black Lips, and you know. And I remember like uh, when I went to see him, I was so nervous. I was like a, a little kid, and like I brought these chicken scratch drawings to show him, and like uh, uh, you know, oh, I brought a, a necklace from New Orleans of like shrimp, you know, right? Like it's like ridiculous. And I, when I show up, I'm just like, oh, you know, like here's here's a necklace of shrimp, and here's this, you know, like like a, almost like I'm doing a show. And, and then he looks at me, he's like, he's like. He's like, I know, I know you are a, you are a very good showman. You know, my brother, my, my, my son has told me much about you. You know, he's like, he's like, but sit down. You did not come here to make a show. You came here to listen. So listen, you know, and then that was like the most, it was like a gong, you know, you're like, Bong. it was like the DMT gong, you know? And so I'm sitting there and then for a few hours, it must've been two or three hours, you know, he's, he's like, show me your deck. You know, and I showed him the Rider weight deck and he's like, no, this is not your deck anymore. This is your deck. He gave me the Tower de Marseille. And he said, don't use the whole deck, use the major, uh, only the, the major arcana, you know? Yeah. And that already was a huge, like, slice of a tumor cut off my back. Because he told me very specifically for the work that we're trying to do for people, we, the direct answer is given with the uh, higher uh, arcana, the major arcana, you know? And so um, this was uh, a really great revelation. And, and, and then, yeah, my relationship, you know, I'll tell you one thing that, um, uh, before I met him, I had I had uh, dreams about him, right? And they were uh, it was amazing. In 2005, I moved to I moved to Germany, right? And um, I get a phone call from a, a Swiss filmmaker, and he's like, "Hey, I want to have uh, shivers down my spine uh, in a sex scene, right? In in a film, in a, a Swiss a Swiss German film." So I'm like, "Yeah, like come over tomorrow in, in the afternoon, and I'll and show it to me, and I'll and I'll we'll talk about it." So then I took a nap there in the afternoon, right? And uh, I had a dream and Yodorowsky appeared in my dream, right? And uh, keep in mind, this is like five or six years before I actually met him, you know? So like in, in this dream, he's like uh, uh, in this uh, office setting, right? And every time I try to come up to him, Oh no no sorry no no this is the, the wrong the, the first dream was he, he was in a in a in a classroom and he asked I was in the student in, in the you know and he's like asking everyone like okay everyone's line up in a in a line and uh, and and then he goes up to me the first student and he's like he has a basket of eggs and he opens up my shirt like this and he shoves eggs in my sh in my chest and smashes them on my chest like bam 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 and then the doorbell rings and I wake up and then the filmmaker is there and I'm like, oh my God, like you wouldn't believe this, but I had a dream about Yudorowsky that he's smashing eggs on my chest. And then the guy's like, I love Yudorowsky. I'm like, all right, that's a good sign. Like, come on in. And then, you know, within an hour of me having this meeting, I, he gave me the job to score the whole film. So my first film job was given and blessed by a Yudorowsky dream, right? Hmm. And in the same way, when I did the soundtrack for The Invaders, 
it was I was immersed for for 10 years I worked on the soundtrack right and, but in the first few years I was so immersed in this footage of Dr. King's funeral his wake seeing children looking at his dead body and like all of this like really heavy black power imagery and it was in my dreams and in my dreams again boom I had a dream of Yudoreski and he's like and this time I'm chasing him and there's always women taking him away from me, right? And, and he's like, he's, he's unshaven and he's like drunk, right? And then at one point he comes up to me and he goes, show me a card that is weird, right? And I was like, weird? I'm like, what? And then I'm like, wait. And then in my pocket, in my dream, I pull out a card and we both stare at it. And we're like, yes, that is weird, right? And then when I woke up, I knew that I had to do the Black Power Tarot, right? And I started writing the whole theo the, the, the theology behind it, you know? So, um, this is, you know, like I, uh, I try to stay away from uh, talking about magic, right? Because this is always a bad moniker for this kind of therapy and this kind of, uh, because what we're dealing with is not, you can't, it's not the old uh, pulling the, the, the bunny rabbit out of the hat thing, you know? Uh, this is uh, uh, a powerful, uh, uh, let's say, uh, an energy, right? That, that we, you can tune yourself to feel this energy. Mm -hmm. You know, with the right preparation and the right, the right practicing, you know, having a dream journal or like, you know, all these things that, that, that are the spiritual practices, you know, like we can arm ourselves with this, you know, and this will help us uh, be resilient against those ancient forms of, 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 uh, of uh, divide and conquer, the ancient tools of the, of, the, of the system that are made to kill us. I will say this, you know, when I was reading through tarotism, I mean, one, it's, again, it is so well-researched and the artistry is beautiful. It's illustrated by Michael Eden, I believe. Yeah, Game of Thrones, baby. And uh, It's funny because he's always ashamed about his work with the Game of Thrones. Really? <laughs> Aww. I don't know, you know because he, he always says that like everyone from Ireland worked on Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was like, yeah, your, your mailman was in Game of Thrones, your, your funeral. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's beautiful. It's beautiful work. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and what I really appreciate is the how thoughtful you are in all of these historical figures that you have fit in, in each of these roles. And what I wanted to mention, what came to mind and to tie it into chaos is with these tarot cards, because I've dabbled in it here and there. I'm not as knowledgeable. If anything, I look up to um, this woman in out in San Diego, Chef Letty. She is very much in tune with curanderismo and brujería and like she, how she has it manifest in her cooking. And it's amazing. Uh, oh, wow. That sounds, I'm now I'm getting hungry. No, pollo, 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 voodoo, voodoo pollo. <laughs> she, she's absolutely incredible. Like she makes it a point to have her food be decolonized and she looks at traditional food, but you know, that's a different topic, but Again, if anyone's listening, like definitely check out Chef Letty out in San Diego because she's absolutely talented and very much in tune with her cards and her practice. I love that name, Letty. It's a beautiful name. So she's someone that I look up to and I've dabbled in cards here and there and I've asked her questions where I'm like, what does that mean? Or, you know, I've seen her like with Have you, have you dribbled though? Have you dribbled? Because you, when you dabble, you need to dribble. Oh, all the time. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, so what I've noticed with the cards is that as organized as they are, you know, they are numbered, you know, it starts with the fool's journey and it goes all throughout. There is some chaos in the imagery. So I think oh, it's yeah. a really beautiful balance of, you know, there's some order, there's some chaos and we need both to exist. Um, yeah. Harmony, yeah. harmony and chaos is the most beautiful 
thing. You know, it's like uh, just talking about chaos. Uh, one thing that has been always a huge source of inspiration for me is uh, is uh, black power jazz. You know, so like or what uh, uh, spiritual jazz. You know, like Alice Coltrane, Sun Ra. You know, uh, John Coltrane. You know. Uh, for one another thing, too, like like in the death card or the nameless card, there's a Buddhist flute in it, a Buddhist bone flute in it, you know. And so, like, there's there's elements of of all sorts of different cultures in in these cards. And uh, one card for in particular, which I find very important. I mean, they're all important, but like the tower is very so. The tower, right, is the la maison dieu, right? It's the house of the house slash god. Right, it's not the house of God. It's the house slash God. So, um, and I, in my Black Power Terror, I had this vision of like the monolith from the from the uh, year uh, from the 2001. Right, that's that thing in space, that beautiful black piece of uh, whatever magic. <laughs> so, my my theory in that card is that that monolith is rock and roll, and it was given to the black people and you see Bo Diddley and Chuck Berry in the picture, right? Mm -hmm. And what it is saying, and then you've got a storm coming and blowing on this on this monolith, right? So it's what it's saying is that this 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 unknown power was given to you, right? Uh, in, in your spirit, right? And when the storm comes and mixes with this power, what you're forced to do a cosmic dance, right? And this dance, sometimes you fall on your face, like the Bo Diddley is falling on his face, or you Chuck Berry and duck your way out, duck, duck walk your way out of it, right? So mm -hmm. what this is saying is that it's exactly our all of our journeys that are like, you know, that what is it that saved us from from uh, harm's way? You know, is because this unknown force, you know, in the form of rock and roll, in the form of like our saving, uh, our saving grace, you know, and our saving grace is actually dissidence and and like fucking chaos, right? Mm -hmm. It comes into us, and then suddenly, like we do this life-saving dance, right? And and in the dots and feathers, you you have uh, white Quana eagle takes flight. Quana uh, uh, Styles is the person who's in that. It's a it's a a, a Cree uh, singer from Vancouver, two spirit uh, singer. And that card, you see the two spirits of Quana, right? You see uh, the 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 one that's like the performer, the drag performer. Right and like, or I don't know if that's even right to say, but like, uh, and then you've got her with her traditional uh, hoop dance uh, and traditional outfit and the burning teepee. With the burning teepee, also looks like uh, that it's it's on like feathered, right? So the power of this card and there's there's a white eagle flying and her name is White Eagle takes flight, you know. So like, I took the idea of the tower and I put it because this is a perfect example of a person who in her life is is has been terrorized for being. Uh, being uh, two-spirited, right? But at the same time, it's her salvation, right? And it's her creation of these like two uh, images of her, you know, in the traditional and in the non-traditional, you know, and, and they're both doing the cosmic dance because everything's on fire, you know? Mm -hmm. So it, the urgency of this card is that that when our, when our, when our uh, safety and sanctity is, is, is uh, put to a test, you know, it is up to us to like dance, Right. And, and this dance is that life saving dance, which can either result in you falling and have to pick yourself up and do it again. Or it can result in like everything just going your way, you know, and the path of illumination, you know, uh, for me also, when I started like realizing is uh, I sometimes call, there's a path I call the path of least resistance. Right. And this is a very interesting path, especially when you're doing art and music and you're working with other people, is that, for example, I learned this from being a father. 
right? I was like, when I did music with my children in the beginning, I let them do everything. Like I let them put the bass on, put the put the piano on, you know, like do this, do the drums, you know, even when they were like five, you know? And the reason is, is because then they start to think in these layers, right? Like, like, oh, so music is not just one big fluid thing. It's like all these little components, you know? So if you train them at the, uh, and it's not actually, you know, it's not even training, it's just guiding, actually, I would say. Mm -hmm. And so whenever I work with musicians, you know, it could be anyone from Sean Lennon or like to like, you know, like some, you know, crazy junkie guy that I know that plays amazing horn, you know, mm -hmm. and like, so uh, when I when I get these people, I don't tell them what to do. I give them this the clean slate to be like, do your best, right? And I think the path of least resistance is exactly this, is that if you give you give your, your the partner all these walls to conform to, then they're not gonna go beyond uh, any, they're not gonna learn and they're not gonna explode your mind, you know? But you give them the opportunity and you say, you have the freedom to go fucking nuts. And then I have the freedom to edit it if I need to. But I will tell you that 95% of the time, I don't even have to touch it because what they've done is already perfect, you know? They are the people of the myths. They will no longer live in fear. They will rise above in splendor and in love. They will inherit the earth and they shall roam free and be who they are destined to be. Rough Cut Revolution. Take it away, Ra. Before you end up inside the zone, <laughs> I be minding my own. Business, I no send them at all. Weakness, I no mind if I fall. Confidence, I no lack them at all. <laughs> I defending my own. Emptiness, I no get if it's pure. Ignorance, we don't hear them before. Excellence, not that one, we are sure. Judge, compare, compare. Free of jealousy. Jealousy. Suffer. Tyrannical lives wrought with pain. Misery's delight, restrained and confined. The sick denied medication, their minds denied education. 
Their children denied initiation. Yet our legacy remains in space. Our ever-bleeding hearts beat stronger as the hunger empowers. It is the hunger that empowers as it sees no rescue in sight. So we pause and look to the stars. Every teardrop that twinkles, every Frankie gone wild in a nightly adventure is born a dream, is born a light, is born a hope. The stars that do twinkle is how our solar savior communicates with us all. In binary Morse Esperanto, a message of infinite otherworldly importance, lost in the dreams of the speeding lights. Around the rings of Saturn, there dance the Plutonian nights. Sundra asked us. upon like what's going on with society now and it feels like we're more divided than ever i do think what you're doing as far as with the tarot cards and i mean as far as that being a healing journey but to deviate from the spirituality from it what i really appreciated about reading these cards is that there were uh, history lessons on top of that yes so well researched and you're showing these powerful figures in history who are not just the european standard you know because i feel like exactly with America, especially like for me, like what I experienced, you know, I'm I'm a victim or I'm a product of the American school system where you don't get all these narratives. You know, you're only given, you know, I'm an English major. My literary canon that I had to study was all European for the most part. I had to go out of my way. Shakespeare and all that shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I had to go out of my way to find classes about like justice and literature. You know, I had to take a couple like anthropology classes and look at, You know how side how society is built on racist ideals. So again, you right. know, like yeah. going towards the beginning of the of the conversation where we had people saying get over it, it's like we can't because it echoes yeah. here. But we have the opportunity now to research and find these people because the West is not the standard of living and of education of anything really. Right. There exactly. are these other societies like with the dots and feathers cards that you had. Uh, one of my favorites is actually the lover's card. And I did want to bring up, like you did mention Link Ray, which I really appreciated, but that's not I the reason love why I loved it. Yeah. Um, it's the other two, Comandante, Comandante Ramona and uh, Datest. Yeah. Comandante Ramona, I loved. I had no idea who she was. And, you know, like the history lesson that you gave with that, I don't know if you want to like explore a little bit more about her specifically. Oh. Go ahead. You're, you know it. Yeah. Um, well, I have notes right here on the side, fortunately. Like, I feel yeah. like I'm doing like, homework. I'm like, here's my presentation. This is like when, I, when, I, when, I'm with, when I'm with Yodorowsky, he'll do like stuff like, like okay, the 17. And I'm like, uh, 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 this is star? You know, he's like, you don't know it well enough. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, she's pretty much, uh, she was in charge of the, uh, the Zapatista movement, yeah. uh, the clandestine revolutionary indigenous committee. And she's this symbol that whole, that helped to establish this revolutionary women's law. And I think it's so vital because it's so much of uh, women's reproductive rights. Yeah. And it's like, I had no idea who she was. And reading your cards, I was like, oh shit. And her mask, <laughs> the mask, the, the black uh, balaclava is so, so powerful too. Like, I mean, I was completely blown away. So, I mean, spirituality or not, these cards have immense value. Thank um, you. That's really wonderful to hear from you too, especially being Mexican and stuff. Like, um, yeah, the, you know, like the, the, one of the, sorry, just to say one thing about like, um, I'll go back to Malik Rahim, for example. You know, it's like, there are people that are existing now that, uh, that, that, like they they don't they don't they don't need recognition right they deserve it and and but they will operate always doing the same justice uh fighting you know and helping people you know like for example the past uh a couple of months we were uh, malik was making red beans and rice for the uh, poor community in in algiers we were like feeding 100 people uh every week you know like homeless and poor uh folks in uh, the 15th ward in new orleans and so like you know it's it's easy for me to just like uh like raise a little bit of money and throw it like throw it in that that way you know and then i also have a, i organize a team it's called the the global solidarity forever you know and like what i realized for example new orleans is a perfect example is that when ida hit right this hurricane uh, it was so uh it's de devastating every time this shit happens but they don't want to prepare for it the 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 new orleans government doesn't go and clean the storm drains and all that kind of stuff and malik knows exactly what to do for this city that will help it you know he, he has an initiative he wants to start soon called the wetlands initiative where he's where we go to the to the well i mean where he takes people to the uh, i would love to be a part of it too but i uh yeah i don't i don't know if i want to ever go to the states again i'm, I'm just kidding but um yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> No, I love I love America and don't get me wrong I fucking love America you know but like and I no, of course I love everything from the architecture to the to the landscapes to all the you know America is one of the most beautiful things in the fucking world you know and like and it's the birthplace of fucking rock and roll you know and that's that's a catalyst of radical change you know yeah I but do want to mention um, as far as like criticizing America and it's like, you don't want to come back. And again, I don't blame you. Uh, you can love mind. it. It reminds yeah. me of James Baldwin where he said, I love America more than any country in this world. So it is my right and to criticize it. And you don't criticize yes. something that you don't love. You know what? I love that you say I love him, first of all. And uh, like just recently I made, I made an art piece and it's called uh, The Invisible Enemy, mm -hmm. right? And what it is is a, it's a Confederate flag, right? And all the stars are uh, uh, KKK heads and cops. So what I did with like white marker and silver, I made these bodies and their heads are like the stars, right? So the, the crazy thing is I hang this up on the wall and if you come into the room from far away, it just looks like a Confederate flag, right? But then when you go closer, you're like, oh fuck, there's cops and there's KKK guys all over it, right? So that's the whole point, the invisible enemy, right? And that fact is actually happening in Germany as well. I mean, maybe not as rampant as in like America, but yes, there is like maybe 15, 20% of the police that are fucking racist white power people. The, I just um, interrupt really quick. Uh, as far as like you wanting to make a change, if you can send me any links to any like nonprofits, your organization, or any other organization, yeah, I, mean, I can also include it in the like, bio. I'd love to send you. The, I, I have one. I have a GoFundMe for Malik Rahim. You know, we raised like I don't know about three thousand something bucks. And uh, well, have you yeah. read um, "To Kill a City"? 
I forgot the author's name, no. but it talks about know. gentrification and he specifically talks about New Orleans and how ah. Hurricane Katrina really sped up gentrification and how it kicked out so many you know what? families. It was yeah. a fucking, it was a, it's an economic plan of these people. You know, they, they want that land to go under. So there's be a great migration of people that's going to go into Texas, right? And, mm-hmm. what, and like during Katrina, Malik Rahim told me personally that there were police officers that were making sure that black people were not allowed through these borders and they were doing a paper bag test. Literally, they would hold a paper bag up to your face and if you were darker than a paper bag, you have to go back to where you came from, right? Mm-hmm. And and they had guns and they had fucking like these white officers, right? Like, yeah, that this looks- is real. This is too, in the, in like, what was it, 2005 or something? The, I think, I believe so. And the book that I mentioned, you know, To Kill a City, you know, whoever's listening, please look it up because this is, I mean, obviously a serious issue and lives are at stake, you know, lives are being changed unwillingly. Um, And it does talk about how during the flood or post flood where people were trying to like repair their homes, police would come and kick them out of their own home saying you can't be here. And I mean, they're doing that in Canada right now. The same Royal Mounted Police are going into the water protectors houses, elders, they're chainsawing their doors in the winter, right? And they're dragging them out, uh, you know, by their hair and they're throwing them in jail and giving them felony charges for uh, protesting against the pipelines. I want to start a fucking a coalition of like indigenous weed companies because I think in weed there is justice not in the states but in the in Canada if mm-hmm. you pay 100 bucks you can have 100 plants and that's very fair that's a good licensing deal you know in America the fucking republicans got that shit way before er- everyone else so there's no black uh, owned companies there's no indigenous owned companies it's all the same motherfuckers who put you in jail for 5 years because you had a joint you know it's the yeah. same guys who are like oh i love weed weed is great i don't think they even fucking smoke weed you know it's like it it, it angers me this whole thing but what now i'm working with in conjunction with uh green chief naturals and um herban legends or are from aquasasane reservation which is where like near where i live or where mm-hmm. i was born and i'm doing i'm catering there there i'm doing uh, funny posters and like you know and i i have a, a website it's called uh, www.hellbound.guru and it's basically a Vimeo channel, which I programmed all this really cool shit. And I did a cartoon against the Roman Catholic Church and like just a lot of funny stuff that it's entertainment for uh, like teenage weed heads, you know, like and, and kind of aimed for the Mohawk uh, crew, you know. So that'll be so, something I'll definitely be tagging in the bio. Before you slip into unconsciousness, I'd like to have a Another kiss, another flashing chance at bliss, another kiss, another kiss. The days are bright. And filled with pain Enclose me in your gentle rain The time you ran was Too insane We'll meet again We'll meet again
fields that never die Another one of my favorite cards is actually from your Black Power deck is Justice. You picked Eartha yes. Kitt, which I thought was absolutely like mwah, chef's kiss, you know? It was beautiful because, I mean, not only was she this beautiful, powerful woman, she was also very adamant about justice. Um, she made Lady Bird, which was the first lady yeah. um, at the time. Lyndon Johnson's uh, bird, yeah. She made her cry when she talked about yeah. Vietnam. Yeah. And so I think it is just so... Inc again, incredibly powerful that you picked these historical figures to fit these roles. And they're so suiting. When I was reading through it, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Oh yeah, that fits. Or, hey, I didn't know that. You know, one thing about the Justice card too also, right, is that it's the, uh, uh, Yodorowsky described it as the mother that we all deserved, but don't necessarily have, right? Mm -hmm. And in, the, in fact, there, like Eartha Kitt, for example, she had, uh, she had children, you know, and like, um, she was, yeah, like like you said, she was a total, you know, Martin Luther King called her on the phone after that crying incident and said, thank you, Eartha, for like, for standing up for uh, for black people, you know? And then and then she spent, like, she was so brilliant. First of all, she came from uh, like, uh, like not only poverty, but like homelessness, basically, you know? Mm -hmm. She was, uh, she was yellow, you know? She was like half uh, white from a rape or something like that, like, like that, the mom, you know? And so the mom, when she was traveling with her, she Eartha had another uh, sister who was full black, Right. So when they were so poor that they went to plantations and begged the slaves if they could st sleep or like somewhere in shelter or like get any kind of food. Right. So they were so. And then what uh, the mom would do, she would hide Eartha Kitt in the forest because she didn't want the, the person to see that they, that she had a half white child. Right. Hmm. So like she was sub underground or like sub untouchable, you know. And so then her mom would take food and run to the forest and give her like a feral child, like a feral animal, you know? So imagine that this girl, when she finally uh, gets emancipated and she moves to New York City and she joins the, the uh, Catherine Dunham School of Dance, right? And Catherine Dunham was a voodoo like preacher woman, you know, like, and she brought the voodoo dance into like, uh, the, into like Hollywood and mainstream uh, thing. And like, you know, Marlon Brando would go and hang out and play bongos while all these like black girls are like learning how to do like, you know, the dance from Yamanja and all this stuff, you know? So like, this is a beautiful picture that I, I, I like, I, I'm so, she's so vivid, Eartha. And like, you know, also with civil, with gay rights, you know, she was, she became a fucking huge gay rights activist, you know, and like was a worship by the homosexual community, you know? And so, so, um, and justice, the important thing about the card is that in, on one hand, she's holding the scales. So she's worried about, you know, doing right and what's, what's good. But on the other hand, she has a double edged sword that can hurt or heal with the same intensity. And that's the thing about justice that everyone needs to think about before they say things, right? Because your words are so, they can pierce or they can fucking heal, right? With the mm -hmm. same intensity. So be careful of what you say, you know, think about it, you know? And so, 
I, I, I get like, you know, uh, I'll tell you my, my, um, I don't know if I talked, to, I didn't talk about it on the recording, but like one of my uh, uncles, uh, who's a past, right, his name was Mobin, mm-hmm. Mobin Khan. And he was from uh, a small town called Usia, where my family is from. It's a village. And it's still, when I went to the village, I was 10 or 12, and they still had one light bulb in the fucking place. There's no electricity. There's like just open, open roof and like, you know, like, and, uh, you know, it's very primitive, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, in that town, there's a train station. To get to that town, the train literally stops in the middle of the jungle. And then you get off, there's no station. There's no like, nothing. There's just jungle and you walk to the to the village, right? And it's, and it, that was like that when I was 12. So it's, I'm sure it's not, not it has nothing to change, you know? So my, gra- my grandfather was a train conductor and he, uh, our family came from that village, but when he became a train conductor, he went to school and then he moved to the larger city called Mogulsarai, right? Which is actually known for its bandits, right? Because it's the biggest train junction in the North uh, North India. So it's like where the train robbers all came from, right? And like, hmm. so um, my uh, my dad told me this wonderful story about uh, how my cousin, his, his cousin, my uncle Mobin, when he was 13. So one of the biggest industries of that area in India is, is uh, poppy, uh, is opium. Right. And with opium, it's like there's a job where you scrape the juice off of the buds. Right. And you roll them into these balls of drugs, basically. Mm-hmm. Right. And then the British would take that and sell it right all over the world. Right. As their own. And uh, so what was going on was that Mobin at 13 knew people that worked in the field, like other kids. Right. Or like or young people or whatever. young. And so he told them all, listen, when you when you work, make a second belt here and hide opium in your belt and give it to me and I'll buy it for you from like a, for a cheap cost, right? And then he would buy it, right? And then because my grandfather was a train conductor, he could ride the train for free. So he would literally, at 13, would take a train to Calcutta to, from, from Mughasarai, which is a very long train, go to Calcutta, sell it on a street, right? And then come back and give all the money to the village. Right. He was like a Robin Hood. Right. And he was yeah. 13. And so like one time uh, he's staying at my grandfather's, you know, in the bigger city. And my grandfather is just wondering, why is he here for a whole week? You know, like he, he was so charming that he could stay at my dad's and, and his uncles, you know, and they like talking to him. And, and he was always talking to him about trains. You know, I was like, oh, what's this train? And look, what's that? You know, so then what happens is that he's there for like a week. And then when he leaves the next day, a train gets uh, the, the, the tracks get bombed. Right. And a train falls right next to the uh, the village where they all came from, Usia village, and it's full of grain and mineral, and, and, and sorry, grains and food, and all of the villagers come and pillage all of the stuff from the train, and that, and then my grandfather knew that that was Mobin. He was like, oh my God, that's why he was here this whole week. He was casing the joint, right? And, and so, and my, and my grandfather was proud of that shit, you know? And th- th- that's one thing about India too that's really interesting is that th- there is a culture of like bandits that were like, uh, that were celebrated, you know, like like the Bandit Queen, you know, uh, Pulan Devi, you know, she's she's incredible. She was gang raped at eleven, and then when she uh, uh, she was untouchable also, and then like when she escaped her gang rape family, the family that was gang raping her, she went back to her family, and that's the worst thing you can do as a child uh, of a child bride is return to your family. It's the shame of the village, right? So so then she wound up uh, uh, hanging out with a bunch of bandits. Right, and then she married the, the. She fell in love with the leader of the bandits, and when he died, she became the leader of the bandits. They said, "You are the one that has to be leading us." Right, and you know what she did? She brought them all to the wedding party of like of the people that gang raped her, and she killed everyone. 
fucking wedding party. So like, you know, and then she was honored by Indra Gandhi and she became the mayor of the village that she came from. And she was still illiterate when she died, but it didn't matter because she was like a fucking hero, you know? Um, it's amazing. I yeah, think it's a, very obvious I, that you have done your research and that, you know, you are very passionate about these unsung heroes. And then going back to your tarot cards, how, like, what is the rundown? Like, how do you give those readings? How do you go about that? Well, I do a very simple three-card reading that Yudorovsky taught me left to right, you know, and um, uh, it's uh, it's basically, you know, when you're doing this kind of stuff, um, you're, you're, the cards are like a, a living thing for me. So when you see the way that they're interacting, very like it's all sacred geometry, right? And and one one thing you should really do uh, if you want to practice is like reading tarot is that you put like the card number one and then eleven underneath it, right? And two and twelve and th thirteen and uh, three and thirteen, four and fourteen, right? Because in tarot these are totally related to each other. And that's one of the ways that you have to understand how they interact with each other, right? For example, like if you put the high priestess and you put the uh, the hangman underneath it, the hangman is the, the, is coming out of the egg of the high priestess. It's the it's the voodoo child of Marie Laveau. It's it's Tupac, you know. And that makes sense so much with Tupac the way he is because he was exposing these truths. He was a child of Black Panthers, you know, and like and was was so wise and like you know and um, so. Uh, there's there's several practices that you need to to understand the sacred geometry of the cards, and then once you understand this, it is so precise, you know. And like uh, we were thinking about doing a a reading, right? Yeah, I don't know it. if that's if you suggest that you know we do a reading, and I you know I can obviously I mean and like publish it. Um, yeah, we. I'm if, following oh, you. Wait, 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 I'm having I'm having fun talking to you too. So like, it's totally up to you. Like if you feel oh, like yeah. doing, I'm up for it. Okay, cool. So like, well, you know what we could do? We could do a general read. I mean, or you, you want, do you have anything specific that you want to ask? Or like, I mean, or should we do a general reading for the world or something like that? Well, I guess like a general reading to start with, because as far as question, I mean, I kind of drew a blank or I was like, oh shit. Right, right, right. Okay. Well, you know what? One of the questions I just like to ask is what should I do? Right. Okay. That's a very simple way. Like if you don't have knowledge of the cards and I don't know how they work, then, you know, so you, you know, you give them a good shuffle and then boom. Okay. Uh, left or right. Ah, the first card, the devil. Oh, the second card, the world. Ah, and the hermit. This is beautiful. And this is very, very pertinent to what's happening. So, mm -hmm. um, okay, so the devil here represents, it, this is very interesting because this is kind of like what we've been talking about all along, right? Mm -hmm. The devil here represents creation without fear, right? Mm -hmm. This is the Screaming Jay Hawkins, right? So if you look at this card, it's got like, he's got eyes, and all over the different parts of his body. He's got a penis and boobs, you know, it's like, and he's got the horns of Pan, you know, and he's got these two little minions here that are like softly leashed to him, not not with chains, but with like soft leather, mm -hmm. it looks like, you know? And so, uh, and then you got his feet, they're turning into roots, you know? So this card, what it's about is that it's about, um, and it relates to Freeman J. Hawkins in the way that like, you know, his laugh, his whole, his whole, uh, persona was about like you know talking about shit constipation you know like uh and also like this is a song about real pain you know he was really uh very boisterous and funny right but uh, and so in the same way this this is kind of like the telling you create without fear don't 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 just just you know uh so this is on one side here right the creation of that fear. then the world is in the middle right the world is the card of like uh complete understanding and where everything the four elements are balanced around you right and also like 
this is uh, Sister Rosetta Thorpe. I'll tell you a funny story about this card. When I showed this the original drawing to Yudorowsky, he thought that I put myself in the card as world. <laughs> so like, so the funny thing was that he wrote me and he was just like, he's like, ah, oh. when he talks to me, it's like Spanish, French, and English, right? So he's yeah. like, oh, the ego is muy grande, muy grande. You know? And I was like. I was like, what are you talking about? And, then he, and he's like, he's like, you, you can't put yourself as the world in a fucking, you know, like black power deck, right? And I'm like, dude, I'm like, that's not, that's not me, man. And like, it does look like a, like me with a guitar maybe, because it's kind of fat. I right? didn't, I'm not gonna say anything. I'm not gonna comment on it. I just think it's absolutely hilarious. Yeah, it, but it's funny because it's like, here I am making this deck for like like Black Power, and then my guru is like thinking that I put myself as the world, which is like so ridiculous. But anyway, it was funny. I mean, when I told him, he was like, it was a laughing thing. You know? uh, so, for the listeners, Sister Rosetta Tharp is like the godmother of rock and roll. Like she is the yeah. foundation of it. So I there's a previous yeah. episode. I don't know which one it was, but I go over he, her life. Her guitar playing is legendary. She was influencing Jimi Hendrix more than most men uh, had, you know, and she was doing the acrobatics of the guitar and like pure, and I think she was uh, bisexual and like mm -hmm. loved, you know, everyone and was like really absolutely fantastic. So, so she, the world is in the middle, right? So like already the reading is telling us that uh, in, in order to find balance and true balance in the world, what we have to do is we have to balance between creation without fear Right, no boundaries when you create, you know, and and laugh from every part of your body, from your knees, from your dick, from your tits, from your, you know, your butt, everything, and um, and then on this hand is the card of the hermit, right? And this is interesting because the hermit is about inner alchemy, right? It's about the looking inside and finding the divine light that's in you, right? And that and 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 that you can only find this light when you are completely isolated from any other influences, right? And this is very important in this uh, in this pandemic, you know, is that when you're when you are isolated like this, you know, there is an introspection uh, that you have to do, and this is uh, tied in with your own illumination, is that you find out what what it is that is guiding uh, you, you know, and like, and so that so and so on one hand you have the creation without fear and about enjoying nonsense, and the other hand is looking uh, for that internal light. And when mm -hmm. and what you'll find between those two things is exactly um, is the uh, enlightenment and balance of the world, right? Mm -hmm. And it's in some sense it's like illum uh, it's like a, um, illumination and introspection, the two yeah. poles, right? Where illumination, actually, it's both. The devil can be illuminated and, and introspection, but also, but like, um, so that's a general reading, right? What's beautiful, I think, in in these like this arts, this it's it's it's. Uh, I've I have gone through the the motions. For example, I, I sometimes in the past, you know, like a long time ago, when I was let's say doing a lot more drugs, you know, like I would find it fun to be like completely high on stuff and doing people's tarot. And it, the reason being was that like, and it was very like narcissistic a bit. But I was like, I would be like, oh, I'd, I I want to squeeze out the the juicy tidbits of someone's like trauma, mm -hmm. right? And so. Um, I've, I've had I had many readings like where like uh, you know between couples right and the and the one of the partners is like uh, you know there's one thing I do is a constellation right I do I do a like the constellation therapy of uh, I think it's a Swiss doctor Yudorowsky does this too with Mobius and stuff and uh, I do it with tarot where you pick a card for yourself your mother and father mm -hmm. right and then uh, and like when you ask the person to pick the mother and the father you ask them to imagine the table as a constellation of, of, of stars and or planets so that you're the sun 
where should your dad go? Should he be close to you? Should he be far away from you? Like where, feel the distance, right? So they, let's say like the dad is like, oh my God, we put him really far away. The mother is right next to us. So then already we're building a constellation where like when you flip the first three cards, right? You see the relationship between your parents, right? So when I was doing this, for example, like it, a, a woman that was there, her, her husband brought her because she was having a lot of psychological problems and boom, like right away, I could tell there was something very wrong with her relationship with her dad. And then she said, yes, she was sexually abused. And then her boyfriend had never even, no, they've been together for so long, never heard this, you know? So um, I'll say that like, you know, it's, I don't get a pleasure out of, of extracting this information, but I, I get I, I get satisfied in a way that I was like, okay, great that I can do this, you know? And, 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 and you know, I don't, I don't do that anymore. I don't do a bunch of fucking cocaine and whiskey and all this stuff. And then suddenly, you know, I've, I've also had the opposite happen where like, you got a couple that like just start fighting and like the woman kicking him in the chest and shit okay. like, like in Brazil, but it was so funny. It was, it was in good, it was in good humor, but it was very intense and funny. I, yeah. I mean, first off, like, thank you for giving me a reading. I really do appreciate it. And I think it's interesting based on the reading and how I related to it is how you said during the pandemic, at first it felt like a shit show. It's like, you know, where do I fit in this world? I feel so disconnected. You know, um, I moved out from LA to Washington in this like super tiny town on like a day's drive away <laughs> from Canada. Yeah. And I was dealing with these severe bouts of depression. You know, like I moved out during it was like fall, winter, and you know, LA weather, it's like, I don't have any winter clothes. I was like really, yeah. I was struggling. You don't really have weather actually, it's just- We have summer and right? slightly less summer. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And yeah. Um, it was just a really strange time. I didn't, tell you, wait, I didn't tell you one thing, I didn't tell you one thing that the, your cards are saying that you're gonna be moving to Skid Row in about one year. No. <laughs> That's pretty accurate, but <laughs> no, it's the reason why I actually moved out, it's so funny that you say that. Uh, one of the big reasons is because I had an incident with my dad um, at the time where I actually ended up having to call the cops because I was assaulted and it was just such a strange time and I was moving and it's something that I really haven't spoken about publicly. He was actually trying to go out of his way. He didn't know where I was moving to. I didn't want him to know and he was going out of his yeah. way reaching out to my brother-in-laws saying, hey, don't let her go to your house. So, I mean, I was at a point where I was going to become homeless. I came so close to living out of my car with my dog. Uh, but my, oh my God, I, told you, I just told you that you're going to go back to your, your, sorry, that's crazy, yeah. <laughs> my best friend actually took me in. He goes, hey, like, let me help you out. Like, get yourself back, back up on your feet and like, we'll figure yeah. this out. So, you know, I'm like eternally grateful to him. I'm eternally grateful to all these super kind people that I've met through the internet. And um, it's through this pandemic that I really, it forced me to reflect on a bunch of traumas and I forgive my dad you know I realize that he's gone through his traumas and that he's just projecting at that point and you know those generational traumas are going to stop with me so it's a very strange time in this world and not just for me not just for you but like so many other people out there and I think that's why I'm so adamant about like wanting to talk about these things because it's a little less lonely when you realize like oh shit someone else is going through it like maybe right. I'll be okay
think uh, one of the major things that I wanted to inspire with the cards was empathy, right? And to to kind of like uh, understand that like every refugee, we're we're all. I mean, everyone is a refugee now, right? Everyone is struggling right now. Everyone, we're on the um, you know the the one percent has has now dipped. You know, like if you have ten thousand bucks in your bank account, you're part of the one percent now. You know what I mean? So like we're, we're witnessing this this uh, this uh, incredible. Um, uh, what do you call it? Polarization or whatever, you know. And like, and and um, I think the most important thing is to uh, like under, just you know what you have the capacity of taking someone else's burden on and helping, you know. And it doesn't mean that like maybe financially or whatever, but it it, it could mean spiritually. It could mean just talking to someone, you know. It's like you know, uh, random acts of kindness, you know. Like uh, this is the only way to to break the ice that's around the people's hearts, you know. And like. You know, if you're in a in a place like that can help people, you know, uh, try, you know, mm-hmm. and like, um, I think that we're now in the age of surveillance, you know, where it's like, uh, one thing I will tell you, but uh, quite honestly, like I, I come from this old school, like little Richard idea of, of rock and roll where like I would get naked or like, you know, or like half naked, you know, and, and it's a part of the ritual, you know, and now, you know, uh, because of phones, you know, like uh, the audience uh, is like, uh, you know, uh, subdued with this stupid screen, right? And and, and then I'm not going to go the full uh, distance that I would like to go. We have to take out these screens from ritual, you know. And and I think we have to return to ritual, you know. And and so one thing also, you know, um, when you when you when you delve into the world of tarot, you know, uh, you have to build a relationship with every card. You know, and this is involving a meditation about like, what is the card? Why is it looking this direction? Why, why is it, uh, you know, uh, uh, this number or whatever, you know, there's so many little aspects you can, you can research, but all of this is also just about self-help, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and ultimately if you have a problem, if you're whatever, an alcoholic, if you're a drug addict, or if you're, if you're just, or if you're married to one, or if you, uh, you know, like, uh, this is also a very vulnerable position, you know, like people forget this, that like, hey, you know, just because your husband is uh, bipolar and like has a drug problem, uh, his bipolarity is pushing you and your mental things in a, in a direction that you need to address that with his professional help, you know, or, or, or like just the idea of like, uh, instead of a, when a, when a black man is naked, uh, having a psychotic reaction uh, to some fucking uh, whatever, uh, you know, maybe his bipolar freak out, you know, don't send the police and shoot him, you know, send a therapist. You know, I was thinking even like when this happens, you know, why not like give him a fucking hot chocolate or something like, like something, Hey buddy, like calm down. Like, you know, yeah. like I'm here for you, like, and, and, and treat it with love and, and, and empathy, you know? So this is the one major thing that I think that I would teach to other people is empathize with this shit situations, you know, like, like, um, and, and then watch the whole world turn really beautiful you know it's not hard you know, like one of these reasons i love uh, new orleans also you know you've got organization like solitary gardens you know and, then, and they were supporting the angola three you know and like for example uh, one of the uh, herman uh, the the uh, herman's house right there was about herman um and in who was a prisoner in angola in like uh, in the solitary confinement for 40 years that's how fucking evil these people are you know angola prison is a plantation you know, they grow tobacco and fucking, you know, and, and, and maybe even cotton, you know, like, like, but this is still a plantation now, you know, and like, you know what, if you find out about the inner workings of that prison, you know what, the meat delivery that comes every week that's supposed to go to the prison food, guess who fucking scoops out of that meat? Every cop, 
right? They get the yeah. fucking choice cuts. And you know what they do? They spit and piss in the fucking food of the, the prisoners, right? Yeah. Because this is the same nigger-killing sheriff that was in the books of fucking William S. Burroughs, right? These are the same fucking people in power down there. And they will, they will imprison someone for marijuana for their whole life, right? And like uh, a white guy who gets a DUI, you know, uh, and gets caught with possession, doesn't go to fucking jail. You know what I mean? In the same fucking state. You know, I was arrested in in uh, Kentucky. You know, in Christian, I went to Christian County Jail, and when they showed me my mugshot, it said race O, and I was like, "What's that?" And they're like, "Other." I, you know, and I'm lucky that I fucking got out of there because they wanted to fucking, they wanted me. I, like, if if I didn't have access to a like a proper lawyer and all this stuff, which no one has, none, none of the the poor black kids that they get arrested. You know, I know fucking, you know, these fucking cops. They terrorize the kids, and then in front of them, they're like, "Oh, how do we keep this kid in longer?" And then one cop is like, "Oh, you know what? Just just uh, write it down as a felony." And so, like in front of them, they'll fucking change their their verdict to make sure that they get uh, put into the fucking plantation prison where they're just a bunch of slaves. You know, I will say this: as far as the injustices, um, you know, I grew up in Southeast LA. Our, my school was in connection with a Compton Sheriff Station. And so there's been reports of, you know, like this white supremacy group within the within the sheriff station of the white knights. And then like in East LA, I believe it's like the jump out gang. And so there's all these like really insane like groups. Or the Proud Boys. I worked with uh, Gavin McInnes in at uh, in Montreal. He's from Montreal, and like he was the one of the founders of Vice. And I was working for them when I was 17. You know, and uh, like I would have never imagined that 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 he would have gone to that fucking low adept. Like, and I don't I, I don't see why they don't fucking put him in jail. They should. So it's insane to see the condition of the world but yet there's also hope because you said it's like what we can do as individuals is empathy we can check in with our neighbors um yeah, we can you know we see someone like having a meltdown and granted i will say like approach safely because you don't know how people might react right but i mean the cops shouldn't always be the first solution and granted i i was afraid of sharing they should fucking pull out a twinkie they should pull out a twinkie in, instead of a gun <laughs> i mean i will say this <laughs> i give a guy in relation to Sorry. in relation to my story when I called the cops on my dad, yeah. I felt really conflicted where I'm like, I didn't want it to get to this point, but my safety was, you know, on the line. Yeah. But I remember in the time of like, you know, dealing with calling the detective, because I was already over here in Washington and, you know, having to deal with the Compton courthouse. Yeah. I remember they asked me, it's like, well, what do you want to happen? And I did not want my dad to go to prison. You know, I could have pressed charges. And I said, well, honestly, I just want him to get help. So if like he can do like AA classes or get some therapy, like court mandated, then that's a win for me. So I think it's also respond. It's also approaching these situations responsibly and with empathy that we yep. can actually make a huge difference. You know, like I know a lot of us feel like we're just one person. We like, what can we do? Like we feel so powerless without realizing that we are full of much more potential than we think, at least within our little yeah. community. Um, of course. Can I just want to say one thing too? It's just like, I'm a Canadian, right? And like, I, I've witnessed, for example, I told you burning effigies of Indians when I was 13. Uh, French Canadians are uh, incredibly racist against uh, everyone. My mother got punched in the face uh, two years ago on the, at a bus stop by a crazy white uh, psycho guy, you know? And like, and you know what? My mother is so Indian that when I called her about it, I was so worried. And she said, oh, he was, he was very disturbed, man. 
You know, like like she empathized with this guy. You know, like and I mean that's extremely ri- ridiculous to me a little bit. But like, but I do love that that my that my mother has so much love in her heart that she could forgive someone like that. Eulogy. They called you mother, they called you sister, they called you Mrs. T And all the motorcycles read your name, and the wind whispered shame Dot Smith, I call your name, Invader Queen couldn't finish the game Life support ain't got no finish line, true to the end she'll always be so divine Charles Cabbage, I call your name, champagne eyes that will never see again Goddamn world premiere, another victim, sentenced 400 years. This is my eulogy, eulogy, for the invaders. I got you thinking as your bodies go sinking, about the fallen who always keep a calling, whose memory invokes a certain struggle, who in life responded on the double. John Gary Williams, I call your name. You're out there singing up in heaven While the devil rolled another seven My eulogy For the invaders Do you know about that? I like heard the, the, okay. Right. It's like a spirit, an evil spirit from the forest that like, uh, the one example is in the cards, it's a uh, 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 Swift Runner. And mm-hmm. Swift Runner was Cree. And he was like, uh, he was, uh, yeah, the Wendigo drove him crazy and he ate, he cannibalized his whole family, including the children and everyone. And when they found him, the the the, the white, uh, whatever, police uh, of, uh, you know, it was a long time ago, uh, they they were wondering why this Indian was so fat and chubby. 
right? Because everyone else they found was emaciated in the winter because they killed all the fucking like food for them, you know, like like the yeah. So when they found this guy, like, hey, what's this? A healthy Indian? That's really weird, you know. And then they found all the bones and stuff and the remains of his uh, thing. So they say that the Wendigo freezes your heart, mm-hmm. right, and and it causes you to do something like cannibalize your family, right? So like, and you know what? In a sense, I call I call these Karens the White Wendigos, you know, like these are these are the women that they only like the voice their voice when they're screaming or they're crying. Mm-hmm. That's the only soothing thing that they have they have to offer to the world, you know, and their hearts are frozen, you know, and and so um, uh, I wrote a book, actually a novel uh, that I I'll send you the uh, I, I'm getting it printed like next year, but it's like uh, oh, it's nice. the uh, greatest hole, right? And um, and I, I there's a, there, there, I call it uh, revenge revenge fantasy, uh, mm-hmm. kind of you know, and because um, I talk a lot about domination. Uh, like and uh, I, I feel like that's something also we could do a whole subject about you know but like I have a yeah. lot of uh, dom- domina friends you know and uh, and I believe that do- domination uh, when it's done right and properly it is a, a form of witchcraft and also uh, empowering women to an nth degree where uh, I mean I'll tell you honestly one of the reasons I love having domina uh, girlfriends and, and buddies is that like you know you can be in a hotel room uh, at like four in the morning and like there's no beer and like your dominate domina friends will just like call a slave and just be like bring some beer to room 413 <laughs> don't even think about knocking on the door just leave it at the door you know and then the next thing you know it's there you know it's like so That's i adore this and uh, yeah and so um we were talking about this earlier about my uh, worship of women you know and like uh, uh if any of your readers are out there they should pick up the book ishtar rising by uh, mm-hmm. by uh, uh, robert anton wilson right i i tried to uh, i gave this to my daughters when they were turning into t- uh, teenage women and it's a very important book about ishtar the goddess you know who's like going down into the depths of hell and every step she's taking they're removing different clothing and, and properties uh, on her right and it's all a symbol of her going into hell and they say that this is a 3,000, 4,000 year journey that, that women are going through now, right? And now we might be in like two thirds of it, right? And so basically what's this saying is that when you see like in the 60s and 70s, the femme movement coming out, right? Like, and then there's like suddenly that there's like, for example, uh, lesbian women that like uh, are into facial hair, you know, mm-hmm. or like there are all these like strange uh, amalgamations of like mixing these gender things, right? And we saw it a lot when we were younger. Like now you see like there's extreme cases of what, of everything, you know, but like uh, now we're kind of more used to it. And you know what? Now I'm so proud that like, for example, drag culture, man, I know so many fucking kids growing up watching that drag shit and wanting to do that, you know, and like, and I, it's so putting them everyone back into touch with like the fucking little Richard world. You know, because that's the world that I live in. You know, I live in that fucking rock and roll freedom, and and you know, and like, and that's connected to black power. You know, that's connected to jazz. It's uh, it's like it's like going to a show and fucking you know, and like and 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 meeting who, like whatever. You know, like bring it on. You know, and 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 that's why for me, my revolution has been ongoing, and my revolution is a celebration. You know, and like there are moments for introspection and illumination, but let's celebrate the fact that we're alive. You know, the fact, like, another thing uh, for therapy, you should realize that uh, it wasn't luck that you were born. It was one sperm out of a million. You you chose that sperm, right? <laughs> Flip that shit on you. Like, don't, don't think of it yourself as just like an accident, you know? No, you spiritually brought that magnet together 
right? And one in a million, the odds of that are very miraculous, you know? Mm -hmm. So instead of, you know, and, and this is one thing that a lot of people uh, condemn their children to about like, you know, like whether, the, you know, uh, you're, you were a mistake or whatever, you, you know? No, there are no mistakes in mother nature. There's a mother nature has a beautiful plan for everyone. The mother nature's plan is so beautiful that when a child is born, it's born with ultimate wisdom and ultimate innocence. And then throughout its life, you know, it goes the reverse. And it's still when it when you leave the earth, you are born maximum innocence and maximum wisdom, you know? So yes. like our journey through the the, the, the world through, and our medicine wheel, you know, it's 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 just here. We have to learn from the animals. Every animal has a magic thing, you know, like, uh, for example, like like, you know, the eagle is a symbol of illumination. Right, and then you've got the mouse, which is a symbol of uh, of uh, of innocence, right? And so, like, there are people in society that you could call mice people, right? Because these people, they they live like this. They 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 are very clean. They're meticulous. They're like, you know, doing uh, these things, and then um, they are. Um, uh, that's their power, right? So, and like, let's say the eagle is a symbol of illumination. So the eagle has a little bit of a, you know, a, a, a chin that's above like everyone. Like, oh, I'm the illuminated one. Uh, I can do all these things, you know? So like, there are lessons to learn of every animal, you know? And like, um, actually, I mean, I'm, I'm releasing next year an animal deck that it's called Animal Med Survival Cards. And it's based on the medicine cards from Jamie Sam's which is, mm -hmm. if you don't know that book, you should definitely get that book as well. It's, it's about, uh, it's a native, uh, 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 Jamie Samson, I forget. Uh, anyways, it's, it's, it's about animal medicine. And this is, okay, I'll give you one uh, another cool lesson from this book. When I was freaking out here, like uh, the last time, when I was like, I didn't know if I could play music anymore. Uh, I wanted to, at one point, run away from Germany because I felt like I was surrounded by too many white people, which was totally an exaggeration. And I was like, uh, I was freaking out, you know? And my wife was watching me run around the house. I was crying. I was like an insane maniac, right? And my, uh, I had bought this medicine card book and I was reading it here and there. And my wife just grabbed it and she like just, opened it randomly to a page and she got the coyote page, right? And um, when she got the coyote page, she read it and she was like, oh my God, that's you. This is you. And, and then she, 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 I was doing this thing, right? This dance, I'm like crying. I'm, uh, I was listening to the uh, Lou Reed song, Vanishing Act over and over again. And I was, but I was, this was because of the therapy. This all this like pus was coming out of me in form of, of sadness. And I was like, uh, and then suddenly I realized, oh my God, I'm this, same person that I was when I was 17 running away from home. Yeah. And I'm like, what am I running away from? I'm running away from a fucking home I built, you know, that I, that, or that, that I, that I, that I, that I own. I own this piece of land for, for my own sanctity. It's, it's, it's my tomb, but it's also my, my, my sanctum, you know? And, and here I am telling my wife during a pandemic that I'm going to go take a fucking flight and live with the Mohawks and then like, and, and, you know, fuck, fuck the world and all that stuff. So during this uh, dance I was doing, I was doing a psychomagic performance. And then I realized that what I was doing was finally going back to the, my age of 17 of, of getting kicked out of my house that I'm like, understanding that these age-old cuts and slashes and shit, this infection that was inside of me was pouring out, you know, and, and, and as it comes out, you know, and then my wife said, like, look, look at this, look at what it says about the coyote, right? And I look at it and the coyote is it's, it's the greatest trickster, right? But it's the trickster that whose tricks he falls for, he falls into his own tricks, right? Like the coyote is so dumb that like, he'll get run over by a steamroller and as he's getting run over by a steamroller, he doesn't really believe that he's getting run over, 
right? And so, like, like, like or it, you know, it's the one who takes the eats the the, the rotten uh, fungus and and trips out and and barfs and then suddenly has a vision, right? And then uh, eats it again. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so I love that I uh, that she, my wife, she found that out, and 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 at that moment of desperation where I really lost my fucking shit, you know, and I was a crying mess, and I was like, this is I'm talking about a couple months ago. I'm not even talking about like when I you know years. Ago. I'm talking about fresh, you know, like yeah, and. When she showed me this fucking book, and I was like, "Oh my god, that is totally right. I am a, I am a coyote, you know." And and it's earlier before that, I found that her, like, I found her card. She was the otter, and the otter is woman medicine, you know. Aww. And 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 uh, you know, and I and I'll tell you that like I I love my wife so much because she is a goddess that I that you know like she is the perfect example of that when you are born in a in a culture that uh that is believes in feminism that believes in black power her parents were like you know 19 she was born in 69 you know her parents weren't hippies they were like basically professionals like like one of well her dad was an architect and her mother was a graphic designer that like uh when when they had her she became a housewife right and she and they were the children of the nazi generation right so like that's why they love black power right and they still do you know and like and and that's why for me, they are the best parents I've ever had, you know, because they they support me in spiritually and like you know and 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 everything and like in art they love the tar- the tarot they love uh, that I'm reaching out they they love seeing it like in native people that I'm talking to on the thing they're like so welcoming you know and um and this is happening now and this is happening everywhere you know this is what's yeah. what's what's sad to me right now is that you can live in a Fox News hole. You know, uh, and I did actually for a year. I, we know when that January 6th shit happened. Mm-hmm. That's when I decided I'm not watching news anymore because I realized I was clinging to this fucking TV. When I saw that and I saw that my emotions, my fragile emotions are just put through the fucking roller coaster or the blender, you know, that's what we have to avoid also. So that in, in the process of, you know, like we said about empathy, you also have to stop fucking looking at that shit. You know, this toxic garbage. I know that comedians will put it on the, their Instagrams and these like all these memes and all this shit, you know, but this is fucking garbage, man. It's like you, you, you're, you're polarizing people, you're, 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 you're inciting fear, you know, and then you're also now uh, suddenly dissidents, right? Is existing in a in a in a level that is really fucked up, like 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 that whole TikTok thing with the the schools being uh, all attacked on the same day. You know, mm-hmm. now the the younger generation who are these fucking hackers and all this stuff, they can really fuck shit up. And you know what's gonna happen is that that great day when the grid does fall out, and then you know your money in PayPal or whatever is gone. You know your yeah. access to any bank information is gone. And then what are you gonna fucking do? You know what I mean? So like, that's why do the tarot. (laughs) (laughs) I do want to say it's like, I I think you have such wonderful insight and you you have like this really amazing thought process and you are just so knowledgeable in like all these historical figures and spiritualism and your journey and you're very- I don't take, I don't take compliments very well though. I should have told you that in the (laughs) Well, too bad. Uh, Take it, goddammit. But uh, (laughs) I'll take it. I will say this, the I will leave the door open um, at the shack for you and for other artists that you come across. I love this, I you, think- you also are very profound and I, I find like, uh, you know, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't do, I don't get the attention of like that I used to with music, you know, like I, I had my heyday uh, according to Pitchfork, you know, in 2008 or something or like something when, when I was on Vice Records and shit, you know, so like I, um, 
I did the opposite. I mean, a lot of musicians do this too. You know, I started my own label. I have my own artist. I have my own roster. You know, like I have my own agenda. And the reason I did this is uh, like, uh, I believe that I'm an entity that cannot be managed. And I don't I don't want to be managed. I don't, I, you know, I get deals because uh, based on my merit of uh, people like who enjoy my productions, you know, I do only deal with bands and, and people that I love that are my family. You know, I, I empower them. I do not. I do not work with uh, bands that I, I find are subpar or bands that like. You know, uh, like I have to really love someone to work with them. And uh, the same way with you. Like I, honestly, it's like ever. Like once you like asked about this, I was looking at what you do and stuff like that. And you're the exactly thing that we need in this world. It's like this place, you know. And like so, I think that there is uh, very much possibility for like uh, hope and love. And 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 I. Uh, I, I say this because in, 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 in for example, like, like, like you know, uh, I'll give you a perfect example. There's a, a Blackfoot artist, a songwriter named uh, Rip Hickey, right? That's his uh, show business name. But his real name is Cody Prairie Chicken, right? And, uh, and I will tell you that, like, uh, he just wrote me on Instagram or something, you know, and then sent me some music. And I was really impressed by his music. And I was like, I started talking to him, you know, and then like uh, he's living up in, in Alberta, you know, and like um, and now he is telling me about how every fucking week there is so many natives dying of uh, fentanyl poisoning. But the thing is, the you got the yuppies dying of fentanyl in cocaine and uh, all over the world. Right. But then in, in that in Alberta and Vancouver and all that area over there, the Wendigo fucking territory, these people are buying fentanyl, knowing that it's fentanyl and fucking overdosing on it. Right. So it's almost like they they want to, to kill themselves, you know. And so, like, uh, when I started talking with Cody, you know, like I started to really uh, like, like really love him, you know, like, like, like family, you know, and I, he calls me uncle, you know, and like and I'm his nappy, you know, which is like a uh, uh, friend in, in Blackfoot, you know. And and so this this guy has gone through the worst tragedies that I like. I'm, I keep track of him every day. And I and and I, when I don't keep track of him, I, I'm worried, right? So like, I willingly like want to be there for him, and I want to make music, and I want to try to. And he's a great songwriter, and and I sent him a guitar. I sent him the guitar that I had in America. It's a fucking Fender Jaguar that I use for the the ever or for or for the, with the Kinkai Barbecue Show mostly. But you know, and when and the funny thing about Cody is that when he was 16, right? Uh, he's 30, 31 now, right? So when he was at 16, he had a, a bad call. She lives, and um. In, in Leftbridge, Alberta, like, you know, it's not a very big city, but there's a magazine there called Beatroot, a music magazine, and they were gonna put the, his band on the cover, right? Of the, and they were really excited. They did an interview and they did pictures, you know? And then, uh, like a week before the, the magazine was gonna come out, the magazine calls them and he's like, hey, sorry, but uh, we got King Con and Barbecue are gonna have the cover this time, and, and so we, we can't give it to you guys, right? So they were pissed, right? And they were mad, and they didn't know who we were, right? And and this is like, this is like you know, a long time ago, like t uh, 15 years ago. So then, when we played in Calgary, they went to the show, they were supposed to open up for us, but then something happened and they were they were canceled for like uh, opening up for us. So when they came to the show, they wanted to beat us up. And there were these Blackfoot kids, right? Like they're like 16, right? And and at the show, uh, that like when they sh when when Cody shows up to the show, he's like he comes in and he's like looking at me. I'm wearing a Tina Turner dress and a fucking purple <laughs> wig, and he looks at me and he's like, "Fuck, this is fucking cool." And then he goes back outside, right? And he's like super angry, right? And so then like he's getting a bit drunk. And then like when he goes back in uh, later that night when I'm leaving with bar barbecue, right? Like he sees me, right? And then his instinct was to come up and punch me in the face, right? But then his this best friend and, and girl, this girl uh, who became his wife and who sadly passed three years ago, she grabbed him and like this. She's like, no, Cody, don't do it, right? 
So she grabbed him, and then they kissed after that, after our show, and then they had children, and then and they and she brought that our music into his life, you know. So like, um, so for him, actually getting a guitar from me was a fucking huge thing, you know. And like, and for me, it's just a fucking like I want to give it to him because he should write songs with that guitar, and I, I want him because like, it's just about that thing. About it's not only empathy. It sounds like a peace offering at that point for taking the cover, for take for them not opening up. It sounds like a peace offering, if anything. Hey, yeah, yeah, it must. <laughs> but that peace offering only came like you know, like uh, twenty years later or something like that. You know, like.
Your fanny's like two sperm wells floating down the sand, yeah. Your voice is like a long fuck that's music to your brain. self-empowerment, um, learning about infiltration, right? This is something you're not taught. This is, I had to learn this from Malik, you know, and I had to like uh, keep it in high regard when I was uh, making, for example, the Global Solidarity Forever. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a company based in Germany, uh, in Berlin, you know, and like the people that are working for me with, uh, or working with me, I should say, uh, there's no l direct link to that thing. Like the, if, if we were infiltrated, then, then like it's just coming to me, a German guy uh, or whatever, German Canadian. So, yeah. Um, the infiltration, uh, like, uh, I'll tell you one, um, one person, uh, one uh, perfect example of infiltration is the the hangman card in the Dots and Feathers. It's Le uh, Leonard Peltier, right? Now, Le now Peltier, like, you know, uh, Rage Against the Machine and all these fucking ridiculous bands are like, you know, we're 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 talking about him back in, when I was a teenager, you know, so we knew about him, but he didn't know that he was fucking maybe responsible for the death of Anna Maya Quash. Right, and she was a Mi'kmaq Indian woman that went to the fucking wounded knee, and was found uh, ex executed, shot to the back of the head, mm -hmm. you know, body like lay sprawling, you know, like uh, sprawling, you know, across some whatever. Uh, and when they found her, she was executed, right? And uh, there, the everything kind of pointed towards the fact that the AIM people were infiltrated, uh, the American Indian movement there, and 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 some, and they think that Leonard Peltier was responsible for death in the tarot. The strength card is Anamea Quash, right? Uh, the the one she's sitting there with her dog, and the next card is uh, I think the next card is uh, is strength. Then it's him, the hangman, right? And the hangman card, as I say, he's hanging upside down, uh, and he's different from everyone else, right? And in one sense, this is the infiltrated man, right? He's 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 hanging himself upside down to see the world differently and to accept the the other side's uh, orders, right? Mm -hmm. And so like. Um, one one uh, new thing, that, and the next card is the death card, right? So it's like you got strength, the power of like taking risks, of, of putting your head in the, the lion's mouth, speaking from the inner beasts, right? And and the power from from these beasts. And the next card is the infiltration, 
is is Leonard Peltier, The Hangman, which is also meditation, which is about watching the world uh, upside down and not concerning yourself about about winning or losing, but just about being, right? Mm -hmm. And then the next card is the death card, right? Where, where it's the renovation of the old into the new, right? Mm -hmm. So um, a lot of people, they, they don't know this about Leonard Peltier, you know, that, that he was uh, involved in the murder of a very great woman activist, you know? And another thing, there's a story about Standing Deer, who's not who's not in in this thing, but he has a very it's an amazing story. The FBI and the CIA they, they hired Standing Deer to go to this, the prison where Leonard Peltier was and assassinate him in the prison. And when he went to do it, it was another native, and he and when he was about to kill him, he said that the tears in his eyes looked like rainbows, mm -hmm. and he didn't do it, right? And this is uh, now I've started this uh, series of pieces of art called Rainbow Tears, where I have an, art, an artist, a Mi'kmaq artist, uh, born in Montreal on the same day and time as me uh, in 1977, right? Mm -hmm. he's, he's my snake brother, right? Yeah. And um, we just discovered each other this year too, which is really amazing, right? We, we lived in the same place, like at the same time, we grew up in Montreal, right? But we were always like just parallel, you know? And so, mm -hmm. um, he, he's an incredible artist, and so we have a book that we're working on together called Rainbow Tears, right? Mm -hmm. And in this book, it's like full of all the people that have influenced society in the craziest ways, you know, like everything from art, music, revolution, everything, you know, and like we're making these, like, or he's making these beautiful uh, portraits of people, and all the men have rainbow tears and all the women are worshipped, right? So like, uh, we're, well, I don't, you know, we're hopefully releasing this book uh, next year and stuff, but like, I will tell you that, like, for example, when we found each other, me and Rob Tate is his name, Rob Tate Jr. Uh, when we found each other, uh, you know, at the age of 44, he's unmedicated bipolar and I'm medicated bipolar, right? Mm -hmm. And like, when we talk, uh, we have like this eternal conversation where like, he'll just rattle off these like, oh man, I, you know, like crazy times, you know, like, oh man, I met this fucking guy with a machete and he was gonna do this and like, like, it's almost, I almost feel like I'm Martin Scorsese reading a script when I hear read his stories, you know, about his real life, you know, like really like drugs, uh, alcohol, death, everything, you know, and like, and then I return with my stories, you know, and then like, so we sometimes I'm not even like reading what he's writing. I'll just be doing my own work. And then I'll be like, hmm, I wonder what's up with the Rob uh, Chronicles, you know, and I'll go there and I, like scroll through this shit. It's like written, you know, 10 pages of like this incredible story. So this is a part of his healing that he, he's self-medicating with marijuana, right? But like, I, I'm doing medication, but like, it's a therapy, the way we're doing. It's an inter, yeah. and it's a fun therapy where I'm like, like, wow, like we can laugh now at these uh, crazy instances, you know, like, and we can talk about our gurus and all these kind of people. And so um, in a sense, uh, therapy can be fucking fun. You know, you got to look at it in that way. I, I do have to say, it's like with what you're saying, it's like, you know, finding your community, finding your people, finding your family. Uh, you had, yeah. I forgot who you quoted, but I believe it was someone in the Black Panthers. I mean, please correct me if I'm wrong, where yeah. um, people are so driven by ego, the I, you know, like it's all about me. And like, we just kind of lose ourselves and disconnect ourselves from society. Or uh, you, know, from, you mean the Malcolm X quote, it's uh, when the I is replaced with we, uh, illness, yes. uh, illness turns into wellness, yeah. No, I, I, I couldn't agree more where it's like when we are just so driven by ego, it's like we don't get very far in life and it's more detrimental than, than anything else. Um, totally. But you know, wait, I'll just say one thing when you say this, right? Like, it's very easy for, for people to be like, oh, I'm egoless, right? Mm -hmm. But it's fucking bullshit, okay? Everyone has an ego and you have to develop a relationship with that ego and you have to know when to shut it off and when you need to turn it on. You know, it's like, 
I uh, I know so many people who claim their whole life like, oh, I have no ego, I have no ego. But it's fucking bullshit. If you play music, if you have an Instagram account, you are a narcissist. You you you've chosen the path of narcissism. Like there is no escape from it. My brother, who's a doctor, is to you know told me from the fucking beginning, Arish, be be careful for Instagram. It's fucking cocaine. It is. Mm-hmm. You know, like like no matter what, and 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 you see it in the youth. They they they're they're wildly controlled by likes. You know, like that's the only fuel of their fucking uh, day. You know, I will and say like. That- no, I will say as far as like Instagram and like ego, yeah, you know, we're all we're all addicted to it or, you know, we yeah. are just driven by like, oh, you know, I want to post whatever and like see how many people see it or, you know, how many people like it or how many people follow. But I will say yeah, we, should free base. We, should, we should freebase our phones. Sorry. No, that's fine. I also say the opposite is true. It's like the opposite is like we are able to connect with people. It's like I've been able to connect with you. Like I threw out a message with you. I wouldn't know how else to connect. Yeah, you're right. Um, I like that too. I like that too. So it's, I, it's also I, I, like this really strange balance and you have to like really dig in to find these really interesting people. And I've met, you know, these incredible musicians and artists that I just throw out the invite. It's like, hey, do you want to like share a bit of your work on The Shack? You know, like let's talk about it. You pick music. Uh, I love The Shack. I love the name. It's yeah. Uh, it's it's pretty much. I mean, when people ask me, it's like, why did why did I pick that name? I'm like, well, it's pretty accurate. Like, I almost like was living on the streets, and then like, I don't know, my life is in shambles, but it's kind of endearing. No, it's but, you're very you're very in tune with with exactly what I'm doing, and like the one of the reasons I was excited to do this interview is that like uh, it was it was beautiful that you you for example internalized the 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 research that I was doing about the uh, the stories of like the natives and and the black people in the in the cards you know and yeah like w- w- we've learned so much from each other just now mm-hmm. you know and I and and this is exactly what these are the platforms that we need I like to help people that uh, are misunderstood and oh, and I think nice. another thing about empathy but uh, genius is it, it requires attention and more attention than other uh, kids yeah i i couldn't agree as far as like you know going to your punk family and like taking people in because again that's like the entire mission of the shack where i'm like oh cool like you're an oddball or you got like some weird art to offer i'm like fucking come on let's talk about it um i've always wanted i mean it's a dream of mine to own like a record shop and like a little music venue because growing up one of my homes that like i just found incredible solace in was um, in Southgate. There's a place called the Allen, which is this old movie theater, but they converted, they converted it into like a punk venue. Mm-hmm. So I'm like save up my lunch money and like buy tickets to go to like a ska show or a punk show. And I'm just like, all right, cool. Like my home is in the pit. And it was just like this beautiful chaos. But yeah, I, if you fall I just, down, I, just picture you, I picture you like floor punching. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was my favorite, that's my favorite that's hardcore movie. At the Allen, I forgot what show it was. This one drunk kid called my sister a bitch. And she, my sister, she's little, but she is so hot headed. And I remember yeah. she like chased him down one of those, like, um, it's, it, it was so fantastic at the Allen because they still had the original movie theater seats. I think it was like built in the early 1900s. Yeah. They still had the original seats, but they gutted out or they removed the screen and that's where the band played that you had that little space in the front and that's where like the pit would be. Wait, what city was this? Band. What city was it? It was in Southgate, California. Okay, so right. Southeast LA. Yeah. And you know, I remember like I chased after my sister. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do, but you know, like I need to be there for her. And the guy like jumps into the pit and she goes on the edge and she's like waiting for him to come around and she just like knocks him out. 
And what I loved is that no one questioned my sister. Everyone looked and they looked at the guy who she knocked out on the ground getting kind of like trampled. They were just like, oh shit, you know, like we got to pick him up and kind of move him off to the side. <laughs> and my sister was like, so she was still livid, but she got a really good punch in and like on, on his chin or his jaw. And like, I, again, I was just like shocked in the background where I was like, uh, like, what do I do? I was like, hey, like we can go get chili fries or, I mean, that was my solution to like her anger. I'm like, let's go eat. Um, and yeah, so it's like having that punk community of, you know, these guys saw my sister defend herself. And they were just like, hey, it's justified. Like this guy's being a dick. Yeah. And I have punk never felt more empowered than being in the pit and having that punk family. Yeah, totally. I love that. Yes. So, I mean, yeah. like, again, that's the entire mission with the shack where, you know, like, bring me your oddballs. Like, give me the people on the outskirts. Like, yeah. you're home here. Like, give me the addicts. And I remember just recently I shared my story um, of sobriety because what I did is every single day I would write, you know, and I would just write what I was feeling. And I ended up revisiting it. And I was like, shit, there's a lot of like anger, sadness, and there's so much going on. And I shared bits and pieces. And the in and the flood of messages coming in of people saying it's like, hey, I'm struggling, you know, I can't go more than a day without drinking, or, you know, people saying it's like, hey, I've I've recovered, you know, from heroin and you know, I have a wonderful family. Like sharing music and sharing like their recovery and struggles, it was just so beautiful to me. And it's like yeah. this is just so human, and this is exactly what I want the shack to be. And Beautiful, yes. You know, like, I am so grateful that you let me hold you hostage. I, I never thought you were gonna see the message, to be honest. So when you responded, I was like, oh shit. Like, I didn't think this through. Like, I just threw it out there. I was like, oh fuck, I gotta think of like, some interview questions that like will do you justice. And, um, you know, like uh, I- You know what, I'd like to tell you one story that I, I like, uh, is really an uh, important thing that happened to me. Um, like, uh, I think it was a tour of King Kind of Barbecue and we started in Seattle. And a friend of mine uh, has a house with an uh, eagle's nest in in the one of the, like the windows, mm -hmm. and so she had a bunch of eagle feathers. And so she's not native; she's a white white woman. And like she came came to the show and gave me an eagle feather, like a big one, right? Mm -hmm. And I was like, I was like, ooh, like that's a sacred thing. Like I'm not even like you're not supposed to have one if you're like a non-native, you know? Mm -hmm. And so when I accepted it, I uh, I quickly wrote to uh, my Mohawk healer buddy, Mike Standup, right? Uh, who I told you about before, the, his, him and his mom are like from the the uh, Mohawk uh, healing family, you know, like yeah. they're, it was on their, and the women's side, you know, and like, so um, anyways, I wrote to him and I'm like, what do I do with this? You know, like, how do I, what does this mean? You know? And so, I, uh, he didn't write back. He's, it takes a, a couple of days. So I read another thing. I looked it up on the internet. And I found that in the, uh, there's a Mi'kmaq uh, thing about uh, you can't touch an eagle feather if you have alcohol in your blood for four days. Right? Oh. So you have to be sober for four days to touch it. So then I was like, okay, you know what? This is a sign. I'm, I'm going to be sober for the next four days. Right? And now I'm, I'm not a huge drunk or something like that. But like, I, I like to have a couple of drinks before I go on stage just to loosen me up a bit, you know? But I, I, I consciously just was like, no, I'm not going to do it so I can handle this eagle feather. So like, I literally wasn't uh, drinking for four days and I put the eagle feather in the little safe place hiding in the, in the car. And then when we got to LA, uh, uh, my tour manager switched out the car. Right. And I didn't tell him that there was an eagle feather hiding in there. And then, you know, of course it was gone. Right. And I was really pissed off and I was very passive aggressive with my tour manager. I was just like blaming this shit on him and just like evil eyeing him and stink eye him and shit. And so 
I noticed that when I was doing the shows without alcohol, it was uh, I felt rusty. I just felt like not loose, and like I was, you know, I wasn't doing as much dancing as I normally do, or like I wasn't losing myself completely. You know, it was it was passable. I was doing the least amount of energy that you know you could give, right? And then finally, after uh, we went to San Diego. And when we started the show in San Diego, there was a native uh, kid from uh, from the Lakota tribe, uh, sat, like you know, uh, with the South uh, Dakota. Is it South Dakota? Yeah, I forget which. Uh, I think it was South Dakota. Anyways, it's the, it's, it's Pine Ridge, uh, the one that uh, you know, the famous place. Uh, I think we're uh, Standing Rock might have been even, or I forget. Anyways, mm-hmm. sorry. Uh, he was in the front. And this kid was like in his late 20s, or kid, I say, late 20s, but he, this kid was dancing like a motherfucker. And th- he was screaming, like, I could hear him like, 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 like screaming out the singing and our vocals and lyrics. And I swear to God, I locked into this kid and I was just like, yeah, you know, I was rocking hard, you know, and I was playing guitar better than ever. I was like fucking sober and I was like kicking ass, you know, it was Chuck Berry dancing everywhere, you know, freaking out, shaking my ass, you know. And then after the show, he came up to me and I was like, I was like, man, I'm like, you know what? I'm like, you're the fucking eagle feather returned, you know? And I, and, and he's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, I'm like, I lost an eagle feather and I was so down in the dumps and I was like, I, I still maintain that I should just stay sober and like fucking do this. And you, you're freaking out made me want to freak out, you know? And he was so happy about the story about the Eagle Feather that he took off his shirt and gave it to me, the the, the, the Lakota t-shirt, Oglaga Lakota. And so it, I was so happy he gave it to me and I gave him a band shirt and, you know, we hugged and it was great. And then that night I went to the hotel and I got a fucking email from uh, Mike Standup. And he said, he's like, Arish, when you receive an Eagle Feather, it is a sign that you are now the master of wind and air and that you see the world from a higher perspective. Right. Mm. And that's what really happened, you know, and, and I'm Indian from India or as my friends call, say, curry Indian. Right. But that was I, I was blessed by the eagle feather because the eagle feather was taken away from me. And then and then when I went to Austin, I got two more. Right. And then one of them I gave to my stand up and I, one of them I gave to my Huma Indian uh, auntie uh, Merlene, you know, so like um I, 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 I witnessed the, the power of the eagle feather, you know, and like, and you know what's interesting too is that my great grandfather in my on my mom's side was a snake killer, right? But he, but that wasn't his primary job. He was a postman, but he had no fear of snakes. And like, so in the small village, that if there's anyone had a snake in the house, he would go there and just like grab it and then smash it on his head, right? Yeah. So like, um, uh, and and so I found out that in the snake killers in Oklahoma who are native, what is the snake's fear the most? You know? Eagles, yeah. Yeah, the eagle feather. And so snakes are kind of blind. They smell a lot, but they're not, they don't, their vision is not so good. So when they hear the ruffling sounds of the eagle feather, that's what scares them, you know? And like, and the, I guess the air, whatever the feel. But, um, which is, you know, it, it's just, it's interesting because there's so many similarities between Indian from Native America and then in India from India, you know? It's like, yeah. we're, we're basically Asian. We're all Asian, like, like like that, you know, if you look at your fucking genetic uh, whatever makeup. But, and there's a, a very great respect between, like, both cultures, you know, for, like, in spirituality and stuff like that. And so I think that 
we are in a beautiful uh, milkshake of, of spiritualities, you know, and like, mm-hmm. and you see people like Gudarowski, right? You're, you know, uh, like my, probably my, my biggest, one of my mentors, you know, and like, and guides, you know, like, I'm so proud to be a spiritual warrior of him, you know, I'm so proud, I'm so proud to have just a little fucking fold in his brain even, you know, because this guy is fucking busy, you know, this, mm-hmm. like, this is the guy that, that like a band like Einstein and Neubaden from uh, Germany, you know, they they wrote him a letter and asked him to, to to make a video for them in the '80s, and he was like, he wrote back, he's like, I would rather stick a Polish kibasa up my ass than do a video for your band. <laughs> like, like, I love this. You know, this guy's the best. You know, so what naturally, I, I, I my trickster fucking nature got into his fucking pants. <laughs> what I do appreciate, and the, and the theme I've noticed, um, and what you've been telling me as far as like coming across the daughter of Robert Crumb, coming across the son yeah. of Joe, jo, jo, I can't pronounce his name. Um, your mentor, I'm gonna get it. You can call him Yodo, Yodo, like Yoda, Yoda. but Yodo. All right, all right. Well, coming across Yodo, it's like, I, and then with the eagle feather, I have always been so in awe of how like the universe works. It's, there's things that I still cannot explain to this day where I'm just like, oh shit, you know, like, it's just how you walk through this earth. And if you walk it with, I mean, I know it sounds kind of cheesy, but like if you walk this earth with like open and honest eyes, the answer is there. It's kind of obvious. Yep. I remember once, like when I was working in downtown LA, I was working at the music center, fucking miserable fucking job, like working with these founders and rich people who would look at us in our like penguin suits and look down on us. And so I was in coat check and you know, when, you know, with my drinking, um, I was just so down and out. And this one guy like comes, he picks up his coat and he goes, hey, I have something for you. And I was like, fuck, you know, like, please don't talk to me. Like, just pick up your coat and go. Like, if you want to like slide me a dollar, just like, just fucking slide it on the table. And he gives me this bell and he goes here, like whenever you're having a bad day or like negative negativity just surrounds you, it's like, ring it. You know, it's supposed to ward off and like clean your space. And I was almost in tears. I have never, obviously like I just briefly met that man in order to like check his coat. And here he is giving me this advice of like, hey, you're going to be okay. And then the same thing with the shack where it's like, I've, I'm not going to lie, like I've had multiple occasions where I'm like, I'm going to throw in the towel. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm tired. I'm like, what is the point? You know, I'm already struggling in my personal life. Like, what the fuck am I doing? Something always happens. Like I've received a letter, one man in particular that I, that I still reread to this day. So if you're listening, Hank, thank you um, for writing me. He mentions one of my episodes where I go over, oh my God, oh my God. This director, I am drawing a blank at the moment. He works with Devon. Breathe, breathe, breathe. (laughs) John Waters, where he worked with prisoners and like, you know, did a film with them. And he wrote me. You know, he 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 said that uh, King Connor Bar. Sorry, just didn't. John Waters said that King Connor Barbecue was uh, Liberace. uh, Wait, was bunk a mix of Bunker Hill, Liberace, and Little Richard? Maybe he he just he said like the most beautiful compliment about like my music. I love him too, and like uh, I'm glad that you mentioned him because he's one of my biggest heroes actually. And when I when I started the shrines, my whole thing was I wanted to be the John Waters of soul music. Yeah, no, I can definitely sorry, go see ahead. that. Sorry. Definitely see that. And I did an episode, or I did a couple of episodes on him, where you know, like I I love I love garbage. Like it's if it's vulgar, I think it's hilarious. Um, and so I did one episode where it's a little bit more serious, where I talk about his work with prisoners and like film and creating a film with them. And this one man writes to me 
And he goes, I'm a, I don't know, not a CEO, but he works with prisoners in a courthouse. And he goes, every time I talk to them about like release and whatnot, like somehow there's always a conversation of what did you want to do when you grow up? And he goes, always the the answer was consistent as far as I want to be a doctor. I want to be a firefighter. Like no one imagines themselves growing up and being a criminal or, you know, growing up and being an addict. And I think that was just so beautiful. And I was like, yeah, you know, like, I don't think people see these people in the Oscars and prisons and, you know, drug addicts as human, you know, as having a childhood. And I think that is so important that we have to give, not give, but recognize humanity. And again, when we're driven by our ego and our eye, we lose that. So it's so important that we turn the eye into we. Right, exactly. And you know what's interesting, what you're saying too with the, like, we, we celebrate criminals like all our, our life, you know, like, and, and, and when you think about, it, I mean, Jesus was a dissident, you know, like this is like the people in the, in those holy books, like even Muhammad and all these people, they were like uh, against the grain, you know, mm-hmm. and like, if, and it's so sad to see how religion is so bastardized and, and, and made into this like basically male chauvinist, uh, like you know, an empire of, of of torturing and 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 enslaving other people. Every religion is like that, you know. Yeah. But their philosophies and their like abstract ideas are about uh, brotherhood and helping the poor and like you know, like uh, help the feed the feed the hungry man uh, that's like in your neighborhood, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And like you know, Christianity is based on charity. But like, what the fuck is going on? You know, they don't they don't want you to have an abortion, but they don't want they don't want to support a fucking orphan. Exactly. You know what I mean? Uh, so it's like, it's the biggest hypocrisy of, uh, of religion. But I really, uh, I love that you mentioned John Waters because I think that I, I love his books. I love his films. He was a very, uh, very important. Uh, actually, uh, I had, uh, when I, was, I took mushrooms the first time, uh, or not the first, well, one of the first times in, in, in my apartment. And uh, I had, uh, Pink Flamingos was playing on the TV and I was, I took a lot of mushrooms. I was really tripping. And so like, I had a friend of mine who was just lighting matches and shooting it towards the TV, right? Like really kind of evil, yeah. right? And I, I was like looking at him and I was just like, oh my God, what is going on? He's going to burn down the house. So I literally, I ran to my uh, bedroom and I closed the door and I put a blanket on my head, right? Because I was just like, I don't want to be in this house right now, you know? Like, And it was too intense of being on mushrooms and watching Pink Flamingos and having my friend do this matches thing. I was just like, there's something bad going to happen, you know? So like... I'm there, and then when I have the blanket on my head, then suddenly I saw the the cellular uh, or the the atomic structure, and it was this, it was space, and I saw I heard silence, and I heard this mm-hmm. you know like these space sounds, and I started looking, and I was like, oh my god, I'm in space, you know, and like. And uh, what in fact was the soundtrack of it was John Waters' uh, Pink Flamingos. But when I was with the blanket, I was like in space. And so I, I found Solace from like the hell that can be John Waters on psychedelic drugs. Because like, you got to be careful with the... with the, with. <laughs> no, yeah. It, I think he's a fantastic creative. I have some of his books. You know, I think I, I like... Eat Carsick is amazing. Um. But yeah, and I mean, I can go on and on and on with this conversation with you. I'm really enjoying it. But I realize like we've been on here for like three and a half hours, four hours. Wow. I, might to, I might have to like cut up the episode, so it's not yeah, gonna be yeah, do it. Listen, I, I would I would do uh, this anytime with you. Uh, I love the idea of focusing on different issues and like, uh, you know, we can, uh, yeah, this is a pleasure. And I'm really, I'm really happy to talk to you and like, uh, 
I mean, I, I joke about like holding like guest hostage and it's kind of selfish. It's like, yes, you know, I make friends. Like I force them to hang out with me. Uh, I am super grateful that you gave me a bit of your time. I've said it before. I, I enjoy hanging out with you. I, I just wish there was more alcohol. No, I'm <laughs> no, sorry. Just joking. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. It's okay. I'm in a better place. That was, that was insensitive. Sorry. I didn't, I forgot about the, 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 the. <laughs> no, far from it. I'm actually in a better place where I can control it more. Good. Um, Good. So, I mean, I, if you, I mean, to kind of continue the conversation. Um, oh, is that why, God. is that why you, we did 10 jello shots before we did this? <laughs> <laughs> 10, I did 11. No, I'm joking. Okay. Uh, no, I, I kind of off topic and kind of like end the conversation on this note. And I hope that this is a philosophy that people can take. I was watching Big Think and it's, they invite all these like fantastic artists, artists and creatives and like big thinkers. Mm-hmm. And I wish for the love, for the life of me, I can remember who it was, but he- Dude, we should that. do something called Big Stink. <laughs> <laughs> That's gonna be a whole new segment, dude. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you can totally spearhead that if you want, but um, I'd rather turtle. I'd rather turtle head it. Oh, <laughs> Lord, uh, that's a good one. But this guy comes on and he's a comedian, and he goes, "I don't know how accurate this was, but when Hitler rose into power, it went from it wasn't just controlling the media; it was also, you know, exiling comedians because." I mean, it makes sense because if you can laugh at something that's supposed to be big and scary, it loses its power. So I think that's why I developed a very morbid sense of humor. You know, when it came down to like my, my, you know, suicide plans, when it came down to my addictions, my eating disorders, if I don't laugh at it, then it wins and it has power over me. Yeah, so exactly. I'm, I'm all for like a very dark sense of humor. So it takes a lot to bend me. Man. I, I, I actually, when I was, uh, I told you, my English teacher I, it made me uh, read Naked Lunch when I was like, uh, I think 14 or 15. And I, I def, des, desperately wanted to see the movie and it was playing at a repertory theater. And I actually I asked my mom to take me and I watched Naked Lunch uh, at 15 or something with my mom in the audience. Cause I, you know, it was, it was rated R, right? Yeah. And uh, this is like, uh, not the movie you want to watch with your mother, you know? It's like, yeah, it's- I was, I will say one thing though, like that my mother uh, knew that I loved weird movies, and I like you know Dead Ringers was another one. You know, Cronenberg movies I used to watch at home with, and my mom would be like, "Oh my god, what the fuck? Like, what is this thing you're watching?" And I'm like, "It's the best thing I've ever seen." You know, like she was totally cool with me loving weird shit. You know, and I think that's another thing about uh, what you know when you ask that question about what you can do is that you can pr- you can promote this fucking feeling of like hey man like challenge yourself watch something that is crazy you know that that like que- that has you questioning morality has has you questioning everything about yourself you know and like and that's the journey that we need to be on at this point you know like like for example this dumbed down thing about Netflix Netflix offers such a fucking it's a sh- it's a stew of shit you know you you waste so much time scrolling through it because it's all crap you know, I mean, like there's exceptions here and there, you know, Fargo and whatever fucking exception. But like we are, unfortunately, mediocrity is what's celebrated now, you know, and we have to stop that. We have to go back to worshiping people like Frida Kahlo, you know, worshiping fucking the beats, you know, like and like worshiping 90s hip hop, mm-hmm. you know, and like uh, there there's so many 
there's so many things that we can be putting the fucking spotlight on and we have to we choose the the lowest common denominator bullshit you know i will say this it's like also going back tying back to our conversation on community and like where we decide to direct our attention to yeah you know we can go back and then celebrate the beatnik movement we can go back and like celebrate 90s hip-hop but also i do want to emphasize look at your friends and look at what they're creating because your yeah. friends are if not i mean they are created creative if not more than what you see on tv it's there yes. you know just like turn to your neighbor it's like oh shit you're building something amazing you know like yeah. there's this drummer in las vegas and she's incredible and like i her episode's coming out on wednesday um like i just released an episode of this one woman who owns this vintage shop and she goes yeah you know like i i, I post artwork from locals because you know like right I want to support my community. And that's like, these are incredible people that are there. We just need to turn to our left or to our right. And they're there that, sitting and standing. That's the magic of America. That's the magic. You know, like, like you go to some po-bunk little town and there's like some guy who collects toilet seats that are like the most mind-blowing toilet seats you've ever seen in your life. You know, like, or like, or you find Salvation Mountain, you know, in the middle of fucking Slab City. You know, like, there is so much treasures in America and and it's like learning people like John Waters, you know, and like, and loving that shit, you know, it, it gets you in tune with this this culture because you're right. It's like one man's trash is another man's treasure, you know, and like, I, I love discovering weirdos, you know, and that's why I love New Orleans because mm. in, in essence, I hate Mardi Gras. It fucking stinks like puke and piss, and it's a bunch of jocks that want to see people like flashing their tits, you know. And so, yeah. fuck that shit. But I love the the freaks that live in New Orleans, the punkers, like the 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 revolutionaries, you know. That there, there are tons, you know. And and like Malik Rahim, and like you know, Wellman uh, Charlehorn is one artist that if you don't know him, he was in Angola prison and he made uh, art on 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 Manila envelopes. You know, it was mm -hmm. the only paper he was allowed to have in solitary. And he made these dragons and all this shit. Like, it's just incredible stuff, you know? So I I love that you we maybe, you know, conclude with this thought because we're, we're going to go into the five-hour uh, talk, you know? Yeah. But, but, but yes, I, the freaks shall rule the fucking universe, you know? And we're going to make it happen. No, definitely. Uh, but I do want to say, like, thank you so much for giving me a bit of your time. I really do appreciate it. I look uh, forward to future fine. episodes. You agreed. There's no backing out now. Um, no, I, I'm in. I'm, I'm in for the long haul. Like, and I'm I'm in for the stink. <laughs> Perfect. I'm gonna, again. I'm gonna hold you to that. Turtle, turtle heading. A uh, turtle heading the stink. <laughs> uh, but yeah, thank you. Uh, yes, my hold. pleasure. And I, and I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna I'll send you a bunch of links and stuff. And and uh, yeah, let's just keep the conversation going. Like I said, you know, for the for the episode about uh, feminine, like I'd love to do an episode with my daughter mm -hmm. because I'll tell you what, she has Asperger's and she's very open about talking about it, mm -hmm. and uh, it would be a, a cool thing I think to to discuss our whole family history and all that kind of oh, stuff yeah. with her. And yeah, I would I, I'll come and tag team with you and and uh, if you wanted, we could actually do something with Malik Rahim from the Black Panthers. They don't oh, like no, to you. Of course, I'm, I'd be honored. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm super excited. So whoever's listening, you, there's a lot to look forward to of all these new voices coming in. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. Um, I'm also going to shame you, shame the listeners, not you. Sorry. <laughs> oh, no, I thought you're going to you're going to pull out like a naked picture and be like, is that your ass? <laughs> <laughs> Is that your ass next to Lindsay Lohan's face? Uh, yes. I'm gonna shame you. It's like there better be beer at my door. Don't knock. But um, yeah, thank you so much. So till next time, guys. Thank you so much for tuning yes. in. Goddess bless you. All right. <laughs>